Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The ask a cycling coach podcast presented by trainer road. I'm coach Jonathan Lee. Our head coach, Chad Zimmerman is not with us. So instead we have cliff bar racing and trainer roads, Pete Morris. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah. Thanks for coming on Pete. That's the best. This is one of my favorite things I get to do. <laughs> we like having you. It's pretty great. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. How you doing, Nate? Good. How are you, you doing? Yeah, good. You look like you're uh, looking for something frantically. I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> so keep talking. I'll <laughs> okay, sounds good. You can see what Nate would be looking for if you go on to youtube.com slash trainer road. You can join us every week live. It's usually Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific. It's a fun time. You can join all the other podcast listeners that are on live in the live chat, ask questions, get answers, and uh, possibly even see what's what we're talking about here when we talk about things. So uh, you should join us on there. And if you're listening on any podcast app, you can share and review on that, and that would do us a huge favor. Uh, first things first, something to share. Uh, we put up a pretty cool tool here, and and kudos to Dom, one of a very fast triathlete and cyclist who also works here for Trainer Road, an awesome designer, and he built a strength training for cyclist calculator. So if you think back to a handful of months ago, we kind of put out, or we we did put out strength training recommendations, kind of like benchmarks where we feel like this is a good idea to be, if you're this sort of rider, having these sort of, or this level of strength is a good idea. Yeah, the idea is like, uh, when should I stop building and when can I just maintain? Cause that was a common question. Yeah, exactly. Like when do I stop or not stop, but when do I like not focus on just increasing my lifts every week? So mm-hmm. we have climber all rounder and sprinter and some in the forum, just because you can do the weight of a sprinter doesn't mean you're a sprinter yes. <laughs> or just cause you're, you can do the weight of a climber, which is pr- probably pretty easy, uh, means that you're a climber. Mm-hmm. But if you're strong enough to do these sprinting things, we think that maybe, uh, you don't need to then, I don't know, like for me, the deadlifts, like. 270 pounds for five reps. Mm-hmm. I don't need to go up to 400 right. or 500 or 700. I'm yeah. not going to ever do that, but you yeah, know, you're strong enough right now. Uh, yeah. Now I got to work on technique, explosiveness, like all of all of that stuff. I could just maintain that year mm-hmm. round. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd probably be a really great spinner. Yeah. So we, we built the calculator and you can access it. If you go into forum.trainerroad.com, uh, then you look up the name of this episode, which is episode 242. You'll be able to find it there. Um, and that's a easiest way to find a link. I would say if you're listening to the podcast or anything else, if you, uh, Google trainer road strength training, mm-hmm. it comes up in the first article that comes up, there's a link to it too, right at the top. Yep. So yeah, you just enter your weight, your gender, and then it gives you uh, the strength training recommendations or not training recommendations, but the strength recommendations, I should say benchmarks, uh, benchmarks for those, those levels. So once again, it isn't a training plan, but it's basically when to say when, uh, so yeah, exactly. When to say maintain exactly. And maintaining, uh, we talked about before is a lot easier than building. Mm -hmm. You can spend 20 minutes. And yeah. probably maintain your strength uh, year round while you're doing like more intense stuff. Right now, I'm uh, I'm doing a little bit more intense uh, training, and man, weightlifting is so much harder. <laughs> so much <laughs> it's harder. tough, right? Yeah. yeah, pulls on some strings there. Uh, so, a couple other things for content that we've been pushing out. Thanks to Jesse and Megan, our awesome copywriters. They've been doing a bunch. We have a post on Plan Builder, and this is all at trainerroad.com/blog, which it actually has a new look. If you go there right now, it's exciting stuff. I didn't even and that's know. been updated mm-hmm. by our designers. It's beautiful, looks fantastic. Uh, so, if you go there, then you can check it out. Uh, we have an article on what to do. Basically, if you have too much time in between now and your a event plan builder takes care of this, but we basically go through how plan builder works in different scenarios. So you can kind of get an idea. The coolest part is then you can just use plan builder and it will build it out for your scenario. But if you're curious, it's a good way to see kind of before you jump in anything else like that. Uh, the other thing, uh, Megan went into why you should measure your PRs or actually I forgive me. Jesse did that one awesome mm-hmm. piece. And that one went into something that I feel is 
totally underutilized, don't you, Nate? Like in terms of a feature that we have, PRs and being able to compare your PRs with seasons and everything else, yep. it's huge. Like for me, as soon as I get done with a workout, the first thing I do is I go over to Trainer Road and I look at the the PRs from that ride or like a ride outside, especially a race. I open it up and then I look at that to see <clears throat> where my power <coughs> PRs fell. And then within the whole structure, I have seasons. So like... I, instead of just comparing year over year, cause that always sucks. Cause you never get PRs until you actually get to peak fitness again. I can look at it and I can define a season. So I have like my 2019 base phase, my 2019 build phase, whatever else I want to do. Or I could use one for like building for X event or when I was sick. Yeah. And then I can use those seasons and compare my PRs then. So then I actually see real improvement long before peak fitness. Mm -hmm. uh, it's super cool. So uh, we went into detail on that and how you should use them, why you use power instead of some other methods. Really good article. Uh, I, I think we're the only ones who do this and with, we with are. the season match. Uh, so I have 2019 road season and 2020 road season. And if you click the season match, it's going to compare my PRs between when I set the beginning of the season to like my first race. So we're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. we're, we're all three of us are racing this weekend. Yep. And I want to see how my power compares to this time last year. Yes. In a race, because yep. when you go through workouts, you kind of know you're stronger, but you don't in the races when you really know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like a good, another way of phrasing this is let's say you're four weeks into your current season. If you use season match, you just check a little box. It'll compare that point, that same point, four weeks in across any other season you want. Exactly. So then you'll be able to see if like, Oh, okay. It actually is working right now. You get a true like apples to apples comparison. Mm -hmm. And also like if you were switching from time trialing to cyclocross, for example, like very different disciplines in terms of power profile, you could use season match there too, to see how quickly things are shifting. Cause you, probably when you're doing the, you know, cyclocross, you don't care about your, you know, 40 minutes sustained power, but you do care about your one minute power, your five minute power, that sort of thing. Right. So super cool goes into stuff on that. Then, uh, this was funny. Uh, Megan posted one on the basically how to accelerate past someone in a sprint mm -hmm. the sprinters gap, the sprinters gap. And if you look on Instagram, a lot of people are like, stop giving out what I like, <laughs> like stop giving out all the tips that I use to beat people of uh, super good article and something that everybody should utilize in a sprint for sure. If you, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of things to, to keep track of when you're in the middle of a sprint, but this is one of the best ones that you can do to make it easier on yourself. I'm pretty much obsessed now with the Williams brothers with all their race <laughs> tactics. Cause yeah. they are in our area, like kind of unbeatable, like yeah. not unbeatable, but like 90%. Yeah, they've, they've got the, a good hit ratio. Yeah, they're they're the <laughs> most successful. Like if they're going to a race, they're going to be the most successful right. person and there. So Pete, correct me if I'm wrong, but I see in the last, so in the last lap, they they hug the corner, they hug the side. So if it's a right-hand turn, they hug the right-hand turn, swing out at the very last moment, they have a lead out. And then Justin or Corey, whoever's sprinting, will get a gap on their own person a little bit so that they yeah. can get accelerate into the draft around that person. Yeah. And then someone, if they really are doing it well, someone behind Justin or Corey will then gap that, but then not sprint. Yeah. So someone has to come around. So yeah. they get the acceleration slingshot around someone. They guard the inside corner on the right turn mm -hmm. and they're gap someone. So that, yeah. that gets like three or four bike lengths. Yeah. And awesome. then they're amazing and, sprinters. And their lead out guy falls into the sheltered side. So the sheltered side's always blocked. Because so be that's the side where everyone wants to go to so go around So that's the side them. where everyone could possibly pass them. And instead you give them the hard way only. So it's like... So what would be the sheltered side? Uh, depends on the race, right? Like however... The wind is. The way the like wind that. is and the way the 
like if it pinches, you just want you just want to make it more difficult for someone to come around you. So they have a four bike length lead, and you have to come around the hard way. Like, how are you going to beat that? One thing I've noticed know. is that <laughs> that rider that's behind the person that's sprinting, they don't just shut off instantly. Too, they actually carry on enough so that I think that if you, because it happens in a sprint, we aren't as sharp as we should be. And a lot of the time you just stay behind somebody when it feels hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It forces right? them into the wind. Well, no, it doesn't force them into the wind. Yeah, well, it kind of like lulls them into like yeah. a false sense of confidence because they're still going hard enough yeah. so that you don't want to come around them initially. Because if they instantly shut off, you're like, I'm going around them. Exactly. But they don't instantly shut off. And as a result, that means once again, another yeah. one to two bike lengths. And that's like Amber and I were talking about in the last race video. It's like a quarter of a second or a tenth of a second is probably 20 or 30 meters yeah. at that at that when you're going that fast and that's, you just lost 20 or 30 meters to come around someone, which is probably the difference. So again, it's yeah. another thing stacked in their favor where people just, they I do a fantastic job. I know. I don't know them. I want, but I want to like go race down there. I'll obviously get beat pretty bad, but yeah. then I want them to do race analysis on it'd be me. Fun. Yeah. Uh, so Justin, be... Corey, the whole crew, uh, it'd be yeah, fun. that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Let, let's go down to CBR and, uh, do you know, a race you know Justin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Let's, race let's do it. It's, years. it's, it's like yeah. an easy flight. Yeah. So we're down back in a day. Super Fit, quick. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, let's cool. go race a CBR. It's just going to be so bad though. <laughs> I mean, we'll get <laughs> No, but it's good though. It's, yeah. it's Education. learning, right? Yeah. We'll all learn yeah. from it. Yeah. Um, speaking <laughs> speaking of what you just said there, uh, Pete, <clears throat> on the YouTube side of things, we actually had a video that just went up, a race analysis video on pro tips to efficiently move through the field. Yeah. Uh, so that one is your race at Hapeville, Georgia, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. At Speed Week. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that one is all about like different cause you uh, basically started late. <laughs> it was an explosion. Yeah. It was like, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, everything came together. Yeah. Starting, starting dead last in a race that starts hard on a technical course, right? More or less. <laughs> you didn't explode. It was the race exploded. Yeah. yeah. And then kind of filtering your way through the explosions as the bombs go off and five guys go off the back and you're like, oh no. <laughs> I've never seen a race explode like that. Mm-hmm. It was a hundred people, right? Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Maybe and you went through all of 100. Mm-hmm. Just pieces, yeah. eventually <laughs> fractions, <laughs> just fractions of everything. So that's a really good one because you can, and that's something that I think all of us at some point in a race, whether you're trying to be smart and sit in the back and then move forward, kind of like Caleb Ewan did at that people's yeah, choice criterion awesome. recently. Wasn't that like perfectly huh. executed? It's impressive. Uh, or you are like the rest of us that are sometimes we don't right at the front and we get pushed to the back. <laughs> yeah. And when that happens, it's really important to understand how to move through efficiently because it's, it's, I'm not, uh, when I say it's easy to move up inefficiently, there's a great physical cost, but it's like mentally easy because you're just like, I just have to pedal hard and you can go around people like that, but that'll only last for so long. And then once mm-hmm. you get into your position, you won't have the energy you need. Exactly. So this is like a really good study on what to do there. Yeah. That fine tuning between physical energy and mental energy is like what we spend a lot of time talking about. Yep. Uh, we also did a quick clip on nutrition tips and how to, if mid if protein intake blunts carb absorption. Mm-hmm how to stick to your plan, avoid overtraining, how to stay uh, hydrated and avoid cramps. All that's on our YouTube channel. The last piece that I really want to cover on is an interesting one that was just posted by Jesse uh, recently. And it basically just looked at like different, um, it, it basically answers the question that it's titled how to build a pacing plan for long events. This is apt considering a lot of you probably just got your Leadville lottery announcements. And then some of you are going to get the Kansas one, hopefully soon <laughs> Monday uh, fingers Ooh. are crossed for Nate. Hopefully it happens. 
Um, so, uh, in, for those sort of things, it's, it's crucial to build out a pacing plan. He talks about how to build one out, how to stick to it. But one of the interesting things is we basically just looked at some data on longer rides and like capacitive efforts, that sort of stuff, and kind of broke down like what sort of IF window or range you should kind of go for, for different races. So you can go on there and figure it out and something that's really interesting. And it definitely backs up how we talk about all the time that Nate for Kansas, you're not going to go do 12 hour rides to prep for Kansas. No. And the interesting, and because we talk about that, the energy system demand is actually really similar for even something as long as when we're talking about like two hours up to something that's much longer like that. There's not a whole lot of change in terms of what goes on, even intensity factor. It's, yeah, it's all aerobic. <laughs> there's, no, there's no extra energy system. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You're down to one. Whereas when it's shorter durations, it's more dynamic and more complex. So it's really cool. It's a good guide for pacing. You should check that out. So uh, with all of that, uh, Pete, something we should recap for some takeaways for people. Yeah. You just did the coast ride. And yeah, what I, did, is the I did two thirds of it. <laughs> okay. Let's be honest. Let's throw that out there right at the beginning. <laughs> sure. I did the first two days and 20 miles of the last day. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what is the coast ride? Uh, you, don't know. you start um, in San Francisco. You start at the Golden Gate Bridge with a few hundred other people. Um, and you end up in Santa Barbara after three days. So it's about 125 miles a day and somewhere between six and 8,000 feet of climbing a day. Mm. Um, it was very long. Uh, <laughs> longer than a crit <laughs> uh, longer than a crit uh, I think the longest ride I did was with you uh -huh. um, leading into it so I did a three hour and 40 minute ride yep. um, a few weeks before but uh, with like a 15 minute gas station stop. Yeah. So, <laughs> so probably don't take that yeah. out of it <laughs> longer than 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, but it was really fun. It was really well put on the SAG. Uh, you kind of pay for SAG and support. Uh, you, you bring a bag and you stay in hotels. Um, but they did a really good job. Uh, the, one of the interesting things, it's a staggered start. So you don't, you start with somewhere between by yourself and 20 or 30 people and people roll out every five or 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, and the speed differential is always there. So you're always catching people and people are always, um, passing you over mm. the course of the day. And this isn't like a competitive ride in any way. Mm, there are some people who ride harder than others. Okay. Um, but a lot of people were treating it as a training camp. Some of the really fast, there were some fast guys there. Um, there was a few illuminate riders there. The team, team Mike spikes was there. I think Payson um, McKelvin fan Payson, of the podcast. Payson was there. Ted King. Ted King was there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was fast people. Train um, road user, Ted King. We should say. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, and, <clears throat> but it was, it was really fun and you could kind of jump in with groups that were faster than you hang out for a while drop off. Um, and then you got to take everything at your own pace. And there was a sag. Anytime there was a pullout on the road, there was a sag sag wagon with food, drink, like repair stuff. So you never actually stuck. Mm -hmm. Uh, it was cool. It Pretty a, sweet. It was a, it was a good time. That sounds so. It's basically a big volume camp, right? Yeah. Crash a bunch of volume into just a handful of mm -hmm. days. I think I did seven hours both days, more or less. Do you recommend it? Yes, it was do, fun. Do you want to do it next year? Uh, I do. I just signed up for John's ski camp the same oh, weekend. Yeah, we're going to Powder Creek Lodge during <laughs> yeah, the I'll same time. <laughs> I, I wish I would have done it. I, I think it would have been perfect. I didn't know how good it was. Uh, we'd, we'd heard about it, right? You've heard about oh, the coast yeah, ride for, times. for multiple years. I just didn't quite understand. Actually, Scott Whithoff is who runs it and friend of the podcast. Friend of the yeah. podcast. He he's in, lives in Reno some of the time. So yeah. uh, he was super organized, uh, kept everything really dialed. It was a beautiful, right? And it's beautiful. 
whole time. Yeah, I've ridden day one before that route, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, How are the roads? Super fun. A mix, I would say. Like um, Overall, but, good. Yeah, but overall. As far as California roads are concerned, good. Way better <laughs> Way better than Sonoma County. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah not, as, not as sketchy as that, for sure. Yeah. So what, what things did you learn along the way? Um, let's, they're long days. Did you do anything different for nutrition or anything? Um, we just eat a lot. Just, I just ate a lot. I <laughs> overate dinner and overate breakfast pretty much twice as much. No, there's no such thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's say uh, if you're doing a 125 mile ride. Like, yeah. Really? It's hard yeah. to do. Yeah, it's hard it to do. So I, yeah. I kind of doubled, I ordered two entrees at dinner mm-hmm. and I made twice as much breakfast as I would normally make even yeah. for a bike ride day. Yeah. Um, just on purpose. I think I was doing 5,000 kilojoules a day. Yeah. Uh, so it was a lot. It's hard to eat too. Cause like you, you spend so much time on the bike mm-hmm. that you don't have much time, uh, <laughs> during the rest of the day to get food in your stomach. Exactly. And one of the one of the things we realized is we kind of broke the ride in half because I really needed to eat lunch. Uh, mm-hmm. I was going to be starving and fall apart. So we stopped for lunch and we told everybody that we were going to stop for 45 minutes and that irritated some people, um, <laughs> but it was the way it was. And then we ate real lunch. Well, not everybody, just people yeah, in your group, just people in our group. So there was like a probably six or eight of us most mm-hmm. of the time rolling together. Um, and some people like to get going sooner like yeah. Jonathan, um, <laughs> Don't like stopping. Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely needed to eat real lunch and I, I ate real lunch and the next 20 minutes when I started riding in was painful, but I made it through. Made I, it through. I always felt better the last hour, like from yeah. six to seven, I could actually turn on the power again. Um, I think you're also close to the end. Uh, it was usually like the difficult riding was kind of stacked in the first two thirds of the, yeah. of the course. So, um, it's usually like tail, tail windy, cross windy, pretty flat. So you can put some power down and get to where you're going. Did you do anything to like, uh, cause I know you've had knee issues in the mm-hmm. past, especially with long days. Yeah. Uh, did it rear its ugly head? Did yeah. you do anything to manage it? Yeah, I did. Um, I think we, we were talking about it yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. it's pretty, I'm pretty sure my bike fit is a hundred percent dialed. I love the way I fit it on my bike. I love my saddle. I love my chamois. I love my chamois butter. Everything I do always works perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started to get some undercarriage, uh, wear and tear. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. And Happens. I, and 125 yeah, mile I just, uh, so I think I started adjusting because of that and scooting myself forward or back. And that was what put some strain on my knee. And the second day had a lot of climbing and mm-hmm. a lot of sustained climbing, which is harder on me too. Um, so rather than <coughs> chance it, I just pulled the plug in San Luis Obispo. I mean, there's, there's worse spots to pull a plug. <laughs> yeah, I got, for to, sure. I got to go to two coffee shops and have <laughs> breakfast with Jacob, my old nice. teammate. And, uh, then we got back on the bike and I still didn't feel any better. So, <laughs> oh, well it's done. Nice. <laughs> so you're going to do the, you want to do the coast ride next year. I do. You? Unless it's like pouring rain the whole time. Yeah. Uh, which can happen, but it can maybe happen, not. Yeah, there is but a little bit of rain's fine. But if it's three days of like fifty degree weather and pouring rain, yeah, probably not. You no. said you met a lot of podcast listeners. I met a ton of podcast <laughs> listeners, and thank you guys for always coming up and talking to me and saying hi. Can you push? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were. Uh, it was it was amazing. And since you pass so many people and so many people pass you, you get to actually interact with a ton of people, like yeah. probably a hundred or two hundred people a day if you really right. want to. Um, and so a bunch of podcast listeners stopped and or wrote stopped rode next to me nicely. Uh, and we had, we had a great time. Um, a lot of people came from different parts of the country, uh, like people from Colorado, people from Texas, people Um, come from around the world for this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that, that second, second ride from, uh, Monterey to, 
uh, Morro Bay, where you go through Big Sur, Sur, is like one of the most beautiful stretches of road in the world, probably. Yeah, for sure. So if you're going to do this next year, let us know. Uh, so then you can join Nate. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Uh, okay. Andreas's question. Uh, says, I want to modify sweet spot mint volume in the following ways and would appreciate your fee- feedback. I prefer putting in the alternative longer workout for Sunday workouts, just as the instructions indicate I can do. Am I working for similar adaptations compared to the shorter, more sweet spotish workout of the day? Or am I targeting something totally different and missing out on something important? Before we go into the next question, we should yeah. probably answer that one and maybe give some context yep. too on like so, what, what's being suggested. So I worked with Chad when we did this and we used to have really long Sunday workouts on those, on those plans. And then we looked at compliance and nobody was doing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can, you can give like, if no one does it, it's a bad plan. Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. Um, like it was really, really low for compliance. So we did is we switched them to shorter workouts with being sweet spot, which gives you some similar, um, adaptations, but really if you're going for longer events, those longer rides are going to be better if you have the time and you will do them. Right. Those are two things. Yeah. Key point. <laughs> yeah. So we moved them to the, uh, to the, like the the instructions to say yes if you have the time to do it you can do it you can do it outside um if you want to but if you're time crunched like i am uh you can do them inside and the the benefits i mean people all day long not all day long i've been in a few uh discussions where people say you can't go long without going long yeah like i proved it at leadville yeah. i'm gonna do it again at uh dirty cans if i get in and, and actually too we're gonna talk about dirty cans and more later yeah but if i don't do that lost and found's like a week away from that that's perfect mm-hmm. so i'll just do that instead yeah, uh, yeah and that's like seven hours so not as big but yeah it'll be fun so it, it, so yes you're gonna be having uh especially if you're going long it's probably better to do the the longer aerobic outside workouts but if don't feel bad if you're doing the sweet spot ones yeah. and uh because you can, you still get a ton of benefit for that. Mm-hmm. And that's much, much better than going through halfway through the, mm-hmm. uh, like having a four hour ride, getting two hours in and then calling it quits. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it would have been better to do the sweet spot ride. For right. sure. Uh, his second question, I feel I can handle more low intensity volume within the week. Is it okay to a substitute a 45 minute recovery ride with something like a 60 to 75 minute Baxter, which Baxter is tempo, uh, for people mm-hmm. that don't know. Well, aerobic. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then says, and I know Baxter, <laughs> you know, Baxter well, um, and do so again on one of my rest days. So the question is basically, is it okay to substitute the short one? for something with that that's longer um because he feels like he can handle a little bit more yeah and so absolutely and that's a great way if you're in a plan to start upping the volume before you get you um you jump to the next level Mm -hmm. uh you can always look at the plus versions or just switch them out and the only thing you have to be careful of is think of your plan in terms of not just the those two days but the weeks and the month and maybe even more than that very Mm -hmm. often you're feeling good you do that that week is good, but then the next week, the fatigue starts setting in. You start failing the more intense workouts. Yes. And uh, you look back and you're like, wow, maybe I shouldn't have done. Like, I could have removed two hours of aerobic mm-hmm. to be able to hit these uh, these more intense workouts. So you just have to think of the whole holistic plan in it. And never, especially in a week, if your aerobic ride, um, if you let's say you only have four workout days a week, three of them are intensity and one of them is aerobic, and you bump that aerobic up. And then you can't do some of the intensity, you're probably not going to be as good Mm -hmm. um, than if you just would have had that be a little bit less and done the intensity. The way I think of it is, so there's that saying, make hay while the sun shines, right? Mm -hmm. So like part of us goes like, 
I can train more. I'm just going to train more. But we forget how we actually move the needle forward in terms of getting faster. Mm -hmm. It isn't just by training more. It's about progressively loading appropriately. It's about offsetting the work with the rest. Those are necessary components. You can't just throw it all into the training bag and then hopefully, you know, balances <laughs> out later on. So that's, <clears throat> so when you feel like you should make hay while the sun shines, it's true. You can add it in. Uh, add in some extra stress if you can balance all of that out and offset it appropriately. And if that's the case, yes. But yeah, the one thing I've found is that whenever I add an extra, even if it's just going harder on final intervals, that oftentimes is felt not even maybe the next day, but the day after that. Mm -hmm. And it, it just adds up much more. Uh, it's, it's got kind of like a delay to it. Mm -hmm. And once it hits, it can be profound, even smaller things that you add. Another thing you have to think about is the stress and like what's going on in your life. Jonathan and I both have two we both have a sick son yes, at home yeah <laughs> the dude i get he he asked for four hugs before bed every time spitting in my face <laughs> it's when, amazing <laughs> it's like they, they can go without coughing and sneezing for like an hour and then when they come up to eat just directly in my face yep. every single time and the like, sneezes happen like you know most people go <gasps> at yes, you yeah. it's not like that it's just instant yes uh, sniper like Jurassic Park. yeah just in your face uh, <laughs> it's like and and whenever it happens like everything flashes before my mm. eyes it's like failed races <laughs> terrible fitness like it's like everything is like dropping uh, it's, oh it's terrible i've yeah. trained like i don't know eight weeks or more without yeah. any issue yeah and then the day before two days before <laughs> like some good races yeah uh this happens anyways yeah. um you got to think about that also uh the stress if, if it's a stressful work week you got to get up early or you're traveling or something um that is not the time to probably add it i would go mm -hmm. on the Air on the side of caution because uh, really it's consistency over time. It's not that one week uh, yeah. The people who are consistent over time and you guys have seen it because both of you guys have been the opposite Yeah, you're not consistent <laughs> over time sometimes. Yeah, and your fitness goes down and when you are consistent you guys are both screaming fast It just happens so quickly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. weird. It's and like it works. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think though If you think you have the ability to add more volume Wait another week and then add the smallest amount you possibly can. Yeah. Right. I think it's smart. Like I think of it in terms of like financial forecasting, right? <laughs> so like, let's say that you basically, you take in X amount. So then you think, well, I can, you know, if I just run it straight up to that line, I should be fine because that's guaranteed income. But you have all of these different things that are un, yeah. that are uncontrollable and uh, you know, you can't anticipate them showing up. So you, you leave a little bit of a margin there. Right. And that's like a responsible thing to do. Exactly. So when we're talking about with training too, I think it is actually, you're in a good spot. If you have a little wiggle room, if you feel like you're running yourself down, yeah. you're just vulnerable and you're putting yourself up against a tight rope that, or up against a rope that doesn't need to be. I also uh, like up against. Um, another way to add volume is so if he's on low volume or she, he, I'm not sure. This athlete is on low volume mm -hmm. uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday are the rides. And then uh, I think on the second, no, mid volume. Mm -hmm. Anyways, there's a Wednesday aerobic ride. Mm -hmm. Instead of adding to the Wednesday ride, if you have the time, um, put a little extend your Tuesday workout a little bit and anaerobic. You can and then, do that with extend, cool down, or warm up in the app. You just tap that. But extend the cool down in this, in this case. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and do that at whatever your aerobic pace is. And then on the next day on Wednesday, you can see how you feel. And if you just feel horrible, well, you're cutting short your aerobic ride. Mm -hmm. And then on Thursday, you're back at it. But if you're feeling good, yeah. hey, maybe maybe that could be out of that day, mm -hmm. right? Um, and that's a good, I think that's a good tester because you're you're gambling more on the uh, the less important ride of yeah. the week. Yeah. yeah, that's super smart. Yeah, because the, 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 yeah. the, <laughs> the ones are, 
we talk about the crucial workouts. Usually it's, it's the intensity that's really driving whatever the race performance is, especially if you're in the specialty phase, but in the base phase, those, those are like the sweet spot workouts are the ones that are like, maybe you're getting into over unders, that sort of stuff. Those are your more critical workouts for the week. So those are the ones where you want to be able to preserve those as much as possible, um, for sure. So, uh, hopefully that's some helpful tips for anybody that's in a situation where they can feel like they can add more or, mm -hmm. you know, want to adjust. Yeah. And hopefully that helps. Barnaby says, uh, hi guys. Can you ask your users via the podcast to write more notes on their workouts? It's really cool to go through a plan and see how other people felt about the workouts you just finished or are just about to do. I totally do this for workouts that like scare me. <laughs> yes. I look in. So on the website, you look at it and then you can see other people's rides that mm -hmm. are public and you, I scroll down and I just look, I look at failure rates too. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, okay, I can do this. Yeah. And if everyone else does it, I'm like, okay, I can do this. And if other people have problems and I, they're like, that was so hard. Yeah. It's probably a bad thing, but it instantly puts me in the mind. Like that. Yeah. It's like, going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, absolutely. Like, uh, what are the things that, that you guys put in ride notes or feel like would be important to put in ride notes? I'm going to go first. I, I do it all the time. Yeah. You so start. I, I usually say how it felt. Um, if I made any adjustments, why I made them, mm -hmm. because if you like end early, sometimes you look back and you're like, why did why I, I end that? Yeah. yeah. And it's very important to say, Hey, I had to pick up the kids mm -hmm. or this was too intense. Yep. Yep. Totally different reason for ending early. Exactly. Uh, and then I, uh, if I did anything weird that impacted, that was out of the normal that impacted my ride. So sometimes like I get that hypoglycemic thing. So if I eat like an hour before my ride, it'll be so hard. Mm -hmm. Or if I do it, um, I usually don't work out in the morning. So if I work out really early in the morning, I'll like, even though the, the times are, I'll say like, okay, I worked out in the morning. I didn't eat anything before. Um, and, and it would, that made it harder than usual. Yeah. Uh, so then I, well, that way I can look back. I don't really say the the things that I do every day that are normal. I say the things that are outside the norm. Mm -hmm. Got it. I, yeah. I like the, just anything that's changes, everything that's consistent. You always, it's always consistent. Um, I do think about my motivation to train. Like some days I'm super excited to train and workouts are always easier. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and some days I'm not excited to train yeah. even just a felt great. That's yeah. nice because then when you look back at it and you like, you look back at a time that you did really well. You look at the workouts you're doing, and then if you get, you look at it and you see, oh, I had six felt greats in a row. Like, yeah. what was I doing around this time? Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. I had my travel schedule. When was the last time I was sick? And I put all those annotations on the calendar so I know uh, what ha happened to make that good block happen. Because it is a lot of it's outside of uh, outside <laughs> of the actual app. Yeah. That mm -hmm. influences why you do it. Yep. I'm in the middle of like a, a flux period with my ride notes. So for quite some time, I was trying to, and a lot of people would always ask what I meant by this, but I would say like, uh, I would say like seven sleep, three meal. And what I was saying there was basically, this is how much sleep I got. And then this is how long since my previous meal. And I did that, uh, and tracked that very regularly for a long time and looked, looked back at good workouts and bad workouts to find out that basically I do best when I eat two and a half hours before a ride. So that was like really helpful for me to be able to do that. Cause I had like, oh geez, like six months of data, more than that, uh, a year full of data with that. Now I'm looking at it and I need to write down other things. And one of the things that I've been thinking about recently is putting down the PT that I did prior to like the day of, or the night before, and then how my body feels throughout the ride. Because every once in a while I'll hop off the bike, like in the middle of like a, a break in between intervals, and I'll just do some, some mobility stuff for my hips, something like that. And I notice a difference when I'm back on the bike, then some nights I'll do a PT routine and I'll have no issues whatsoever the next day. So I want to make sure that I'm consistent with that. So then I can lock that down because I feel like, uh, especially with overuse injuries, you can get into a spot where it disappears and you're like, I got it. 
but I, I'd rather have a repetitive process or like a, a repeatable process that I could put into practice to be able to fully avoid it yeah. and know that it won't come back. <clears throat> so yep. that's one of the things. The same way you eat two and a half hours beforehand, mm -hmm. you know the exact right PT yep. process to do X amount of hours beforehand and what to do and how, how it makes you feel, right? Yep. And I always do record like how I felt and I try to record my best assumption in that moment as of, or as to why I feel that way. Mm -hmm. Sometimes those might be off, but at least that's like what at least I think it's important to record that, uh, in those moments. So, and if you do that all the time, then you'll be able to look back and see the data. So yeah, absolutely. It's in ride notes. Uh, if you just, after you complete a ride, you can enter in the ride notes right there in the app. It's super easy. So it's a good way to do it. Um, along those lines of things that we have here at trainer road that are awesome. Uh, one of the things that we also were doing was we're hiring. Uh, so yeah, for so, a couple positions, so it's repetitive everyone, but <laughs> we're probably going to, I hopefully hire these people forever. Yeah. Uh, we have a pretty rigorous hiring process, so it's yeah. it might be open forever now, uh, because of growth, like keeping up with the growth. Sure. Uh, react Native and C sharp engineers really like working here. Yeah. Uh, we have a really like, it's been so long since an engineers quit years <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. and they love the code base, very clear tasks and our deployment process is awesome. And our testing process is awesome. And the code review process is awesome. And everyone, no one's a jerk. That's what you dreamed of when you worked at a fortune 500 company, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Like so we can deploy. So if you work on the back end side, you we can deploy the website 10 times in a day. Anytime mm -hmm. a PR is merged, it's automatically released with tests. And then, uh, on the app side too, we have full suite of tests with all the devices. That was really hard to do. Um, mm -hmm. And it's always has to, testing never ends. So you always add tests to it, but uh, I'm going to say it's a cool place to work. It's a very cool <laughs> place to work. Yeah. So uh, if you're a React Native or C Sharp engineer, you can go to trainerroad.com slash jobs. Or also if, you, if you're just looking for any sort of opportunity outside of that, always just you know bookmark that site and you can return to it. Um, uh, I want to say too, I, want, I would love to hire all of you. There's so many people who are passionate and they come and their skills just aren't exactly aligned with what we have mm -hmm. and we get some really high quality candidates so I, I especially if i like interact with you a lot i feel so bad when i reject people but some of these things are so 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 competitive yeah and some of the people i'm like you want to work here yeah, it's great right <laughs> yeah, like, those are the sort of people yeah that you want that's you're way better sure. than i am which the, is awesome yeah yeah that's how it, that's uh that's how it should be right so uh matt's question says what should i eat during a recovery during a recovery week do i continue eating high quality to aid the recovery do i eat more salads and improve body composition that week or do i finally indulge in pizza for the sake of a mental break since i always crave pizza and usually deny myself slices when in a training block it says thanks eating pizza while awaiting your answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This I'll talk really slowly so you can eat more pizza. No. Uh, <laughs> this is a this is a good question. Yeah, it is. And so optimal would be high quality to aid recovery. Mm -hmm. Um if you were a robot. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. Um I think we all agree and this is a trap people fall in is don't like if you just did a 4 to 3 to 5 week block don't try to improve body composition during yeah. that recovery period. Cause that recovery period is when your body is ab really absorbing and you're going to get that pop in yeah. FTP yep. and that pop in FTP, you don't know what it is, but it is amazing. And when it happens, it feels so good. Yeah. yeah. And right? it's also yeah. worth saying, I think for, for all of us here that when you go through in the rest week, there is like for the majority of us, there's probably some sort of pressure that we put on ourselves that like, we're not training as much. So therefore I really need to watch it in terms of like body composition, but I, I've, I've found that actually in terms of the outcome that doesn't usually satisfy the outcome that I want. I found that if you 
So having a few indulgences on that recovery week makes it easier for me to stay focused the other three to five weeks. Mm -hmm. So um, like I have, I'm trying trying to get into wine, which is a weird thing to say, but (laughs) I've got some wine. There's a Vivino app, which is amazing. And uh, I have some wine at home and I'm only drinking it on recovery weeks. Yeah. Uh, One to two glasses. Uh, I'm not going and doing anything crazy. Right. But that then a little mental break. It's nice. It's like this, it's ability to relax. Yeah. And you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's good. And if that makes me really nail and uh, my other plan and not get these like um, binges, mm-hmm. which is that's the problem is when you restrict yourself too much and then you get a binge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and people say everything in moderation, but the, the binges are what hurts you. And then I find too, when I binge on something, then that food starts tasting a lot better. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. healthy food starts tasting a lot worse. I just saw in the forum, actually, someone was complaining about Ezekiel bread and cereal that it tastes like nothing. Yeah. That's because there's no added sugar. Yeah. And <laughs> you eat Ezekiel cereal a whole bunch and you're like, this tastes awesome. And then you t- you eat like a sugary cereal and you're like, whoa, this is like, yeah. how can I, you're yeah. eating like a kid cereal. Oh, yeah. You're like, this is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. But if you eat that a lot, you're like, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Captain Crunch. Yeah. It tastes good. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, and, and the thing about like the binging side of things, I think that a lot of it is psychological. I mean, it is psychological, but we don't think of it many times that way. We just tie it into like, it's a craving and it's a physical need. And, but it is psychological. And when you talk about a recovery week, a recovery week is not only physical, it should also be psychological because mm-hmm. I know at least for, so I'll just speak for me personally, when I go through a training block, there's a lot of like mental warfare going on, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. Like <laughs> it's hard when you're training, yeah. like battling yourself and saying that you can do this, hold on. You can, you can stick through that interval. Or when you have a, an intimidating workout coming up that day and you decide to take it on, that's tough. Like you're fighting, you're fighting against a lot of, a lot of like opposition, even in terms with mm-hmm. all of that, not to mention all the external things that you're having to overcome in order to train. So that's really tough and psychologically it can be hard. So it is important during that rest week I've found to be a bit more lenient on myself, but that doesn't mean just like, like you like <laughs> fall it doesn't, off the wagon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't fall off the wagon. Yeah. There's, yeah. We're, we're, it's not just one or the other here. There's yeah. a spectrum to be operated on. I usually do one fall off the wagon meal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it's just whatever I want. Uh, yeah. Olive Garden Tour of Italy, which is like 2,200 <laughs> calories. Yeah, just go, <laughs> go full in. That goes, and then the next day, you just, you're just like, I will not eat like this for another month. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. it's horrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's, I'm sure, a cycling joke tied in there somewhere. With There's a that good question. Meal. What is your hardest mental part of a plan? You know, honestly, mine is getting back into it after the rest week. That's really? for sure. Hard um, one. Hard. Oh, I love that. See, I, I always feel pretty bad after a rest week. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, but I definitely emphasize quality food and, and like really try to maximize that recovery period. Um, but I usually ride a lot less, um, and catch up on regular life things. Yeah. Um, so you, generally speaking, my legs feel worse and that week of like getting back into the mix is so hard for me after that week. Then it's wonderful. Then, then it's fine. Yeah. Right? Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Air quotes. <laughs> Air quotes. Yeah. My, uh, my hard part is it's the final week before recovery. It's like two a day or two before vacation oh, at God. work. Yeah. You're like, man, vacation's right there. <laughs> yes. Why don't we just leave today? You get senioritis, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. And two, like uh, race week, like the, yeah. the oh, last yeah. workouts before the race. And two, I'm in my for race week. I'm always in my head. I'm like, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing yeah, this? Yeah, you question yeah. everything. Is this too much? Uh-huh. Uh, I do like that race week feeling, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, it's funny. You guys are like inverted, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a really good point um, on sticking to it. 
and, and going through the whole thing. And that's why I think having like a plan laid out is so key because especially like in our situations where we know, like we don't necessarily have to have a plan and all of us here in this room, we could lay out our workouts every day and it would be a good progression. We understand that sort of thing. Right. But I, it's super important for me to have the plan because of the accountability it, it forces upon me of basically like you have to do this because otherwise it does get pretty hard. Like I get to like the end of like right now I'm in my final, like uh, the loading cycle basically of three weeks. And then next week is my recovery week. And it's so tempting to just be like, eh, just take one, yeah. t- take that Friday off. You could, you know? so we know enough to, to right now build it, but then when you get into it in that final week, you're like. Maybe I wasn't thinking so clearly about yeah. that. And I'm just going to tweak a little bit. Yeah, uh-huh. Or now I'm just like, I'll just do what Chad says. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I just like trust it. And then because I've had success before and I know all the yeah. success for trainer road people have done. I'm like, okay, I'll just do it. I know this is hard. Um, and yes. I'm, I'm really, am I really that bad? Yeah. Am yeah. I really that bad? <laughs> now nah, let's just take some HTFU yeah. uh, inside of me. Yeah. I, I want to touch on something that I feel like is totally inverted, like a, an, an understanding point that I feel like people get wrong. So there's like the saying of like, if the furnace is burning hot, <laughs> toss whatever you want in there. Oh, right. Yeah. And so people think like when I'm training, I can eat whatever I want. And mm-hmm. the, the, the answer is yes, you can, uh, you can, <laughs> but once again, doesn't mean you should. Right. Yeah. And in this case, I think in my, the way that I've evolved to see this, and I feel that it helps my training uh, immensely is quality work requires quality fuel for sure. And when you're in your recovery week, there's not as much quality work going on. It's not as difficult. Uh, it's not as much load period. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I don't think that the quality necessarily has to be that high. That said, I'm sure if you looked at the science behind everything, it would be better for your body if you ate quality all, all the, the time, time. right? But there is like a psychological uh, balance point to be hit with this. But I think a lot of people do things backwards from what they should. They eat whatever they want during the loading weeks. And then in that deload week or that recovery salads. week, they're like salads. <laughs> tuna, tuna, what's your, tuna. Seared ahi salads, so right? Yeah, 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 that was my pre-race meal. Uh, trying to lose weight in the middle of a stage race. Yeah, Brilliant. I, yeah. I, I do think there's one more thing you can do to help you out. I think we're really lucky here, like having you guys around all the time. You have like accountability partners. Mm-hmm. And then like even Strava, there's uh, accountability. You yes. know, like there's a lot of accountability that you can build into your kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it makes all those hard decisions slightly easier because you have other people to share it with. The, the culture here is oh, we have to. I have to be really careful that we don't go into like hostile work territory, <laughs> yeah. just because like, hey, what's, what are you eating? Why, yeah. why are you eating that? That's yeah. right. How, how yeah. much did you weigh this morning? Yeah. <laughs> with Chad, but, there's no holds barred, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we just, just have to. I mean, we I, we always look at what we're eating. We're always curious yeah. and like. We're always proud too. Pete's like, look at all these vegetables that <laughs> yeah. I have, right? And yeah. then we show it and like, what are you eating? And um, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, so, and we get on Brandon. Brandon's like, the furnace is hot. Oh yeah, 100% uh, Brandon he had is on this that. morning. He's yes, been, he did. He's been improving <laughs> his quality. <laughs> what did he tell us this morning? He's Thir- like, Thursday's my easy day. I sleep in, I wake up, I eat donuts, I don't train. So he was, yeah. yeah. Maybe that's a mental thing for him though. Exactly. Because yeah. he helps. does train more consistently than any of us. It's yes, true. he does. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, but it's it, that that is a, a good point. Speak. Can I plug my Instagram? <laughs> um, yeah, 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 actually, one one okay. quick thing. Yeah, the accountability <laughs> partner thing is great, and you can have that there at work. But like, even my son, bless his heart, he's an awesome little accountability partner. Like, I come home. Does he tell you? <laughs> shame you? <laughs> no, he doesn't shame me. Thank goodness, no. Um, but like, when I come home, he always asks me every single night, "How'd your workout go? How'd your training go?" And I think Aww. it's because he yeah, sees that's... that pattern from my wife, which she's an awesome accountability partner on 
that. I asked her how her kickboxing went or whatever else she had that day. And then she always asked me and we kind of go into depth and we probably bore each other, but I think that we do that because we know that it helps that individual. Just picture you know the lead mean? dinner table. <laughs> dinner table. <laughs> well, the second interval was pretty hard, but then the third one, I started to really get my stride. Yeah. Honestly, that's not far off. <laughs> John is like, pulls up like analytics. Yeah. He's like, analytics he's like, like doing sections yeah, he's on like, it. You can see my cadence <laughs> dropping right here. You yeah. knew I was in trouble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not far off. Not so far off. Like, uh-huh. Yep. Good. Thanks, yep. honey. And then she starts on the kickboxing thing and I mm-hmm. smile and mm-hmm. nod. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, it, it is really helpful um, to have people that are going to check up on you, not check up in terms of like a, like you're in trouble if you don't yeah. sort of a thing, but, and you can be that for somebody else. And sometimes if you're that for somebody else, then they'll do the same thing for you later on. So uh, yeah, super helpful on the nutrition side of things though. People should tune into your Instagram over the next 20 or 48 hours. Forever. Really yeah, say, yes, also this forever. Is true. But <laughs> so, specifically over the next 48 hours, what are you going to do? Uh, I am going to, so we have race weekend. And yes, I do. am going to carb load and I'm carb loading for a hour crit and a two hour mountain bike, which hold on right there. People are probably like 70 minute crit. Oh, it's yeah. 70. Yeah. Oh, the, the <laughs> amount of carbs <laughs> just changed. <laughs> just kidding. People are probably like, what in the heck are you doing? Nate? Yeah. You don't have to carb load because it's not a long race. Yeah. Like the, what people are saying, they're typing, Nate, you will not run out of glycogen stores in a 70 minute race. Right. And yes, that's true. And that's true. Yeah. I won't, but the ARP, but the performance will be better and my RP will be lower. Um, or arguably same performance be higher if I carb load, there's data to back that up. Yes. So what I'm aiming for is 10 grams of carbs per kilogram of body weight over two days. Um, that equals about eight hundred eight hundred and sixty grams of carbs for two days. And then I'm going to aim for 400 um, the day of the race. And luckily on the first day, we race at like 4 p.m. Yeah, so 10. Yeah. Easy build. Lucky. Hit that. Yeah. Um, not me. So to carb load, <laughs> there's many different ways. Uh, yeah. three. and I've looked, I, I've done like a lot of research on carb loading and there's, they all kind of get you to the same spot cause they can measure mm-hmm. how much glycogen you have. So, uh, like a five day carb load is the same as a two day intense carb load is the same as, um, there's one way where you deplete mm-hmm. and then you carb load. Yep. Um, but the, you don't have to do it that way. Yeah. So. The two day carb load is what I like. I've had great success with it. Um, it's hard. Uh, and I'm going to try to do it with mostly quality food, but not hundred percent. And I just remembered, I forgot a bunch of food at home. Ah, shoot. Uh, <laughs> we can remedy that. I know. <laughs> Maybe I could go pick that up, but so you've heard us on the podcast, talk about how much Nate eats, and this is a good opportunity to see how much Nate no, eats. No, this is a hard day. So this is training. <laughs> like it's hard to eat I'm not that looking much, right? forward to this. Yeah. Um, yeah, very hard. But it is. And, and like you talked about, it's not about avoiding a bonk. It's about improving performance, uh, all the way along. Until you would reach some sort of inevitable, inevitable bonk point. But the, the, the point is it makes you actually faster. It doesn't just stop you from stopping. And the second day, uh, mountain bike race, I think I'll have better performance on that day by loading, um, Thursday, Friday before that Sunday workout Mm -hmm. or Sunday race. Um, yeah. And the other, the other tip is you'll see very low fat and very low protein. Mm -hmm. Um, at least you're not going to see big pieces of meat and fatty things that's to keep the calories down mm-hmm. or else you just can't absorb it and weight gain. But if you, I've done this in my fitness pal before, if you put in all the, uh, you put it all in, you're actually getting a ton of protein because all oh, these yeah. like even oatmeal ha- and yeah, bread, quality carbohydrates yeah, have yeah. good, good yes. macronutrient balance. Exactly. Lentils, quinoa, mm-hmm. they all have a ton of protein or not a ton, but if you eat a ton of it, you're going to mm-hmm. get a lot of protein. Yep. yep. Um, so I, I bet I'd be over, 
180 grams of protein for the day, mm -hmm. uh, which mm -hmm. is plenty uh, for me. Yeah. Yeah. Colin's question says, thanks as always for a great podcast uh, and for such a rockin' product. Wait, we didn't say my Instagram handle. Oh, forgive me. Yeah. N Pearson 99, right? <laughs> yeah. N P A R S O N 99. One of the, can I plug mine? Sure. Uh, uh, Lee Jonathan underscore, because I'm going to wax a chain tomorrow and I'm going to document that process. Do you want to wax mine too? <laughs> sure. All right. Perfect. Yeah. yeah we'll do that. <laughs> got to strip um, it and stuff. Yeah. yeah. You got a fresh chain? I got brand new. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, because I, I need to put on a new chain. So, I'm going to go through that whole process. So, I, I would maybe do it today if you have time. I don't have time today. Okay. Just make yeah. sure you ride it. You get It'll that quick tomorrow. link really in there. So, tomorrow, uh, Pete and I are actually going to yeah. go do, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this later because okay. we're going to talk about the race later. Okay. Restraint. Yeah. We'll move forward. Okay. Um, so, next one is from uh, Colin says, Hey guys, thanks as always for a great podcast and a, and a rockin' product, as I just said, forgive me. He says, my question is regarding outdoor workouts. I'm currently following low volume plans with Tuesday and Thursday being the first two interval rides of the week. And Wednesday is an extra zone two trainer ride that I manually add in. The third interval ride of the week is set to an outdoor ride on Saturdays. And since I'm a cross country mountain biker, I always have my outdoor mountain bike ride on Saturdays. As you can imagine, it's not always possible to follow the prescribed interval structure for this ride, especially during the sweet spot base phases. And the reason that he's saying that is because lower intensity and longer intervals that usually doesn't really mix with mountain bike trails because they are variable and they force you to go pretty hard just because of the nature of the steepness of the trail. So question is. If I can't match the prescribed intervals, what is the next metric I should try to match such that the Saturday rides support my overall plans goals? Should it be TSS? Should it just be duration? Some combination of other metrics, uh, from Colin Drake. So, uh, <clears throat> I guess this one, the first thing I would probably say is reschedule your Saturday ride for another day in the week, since you aren't training every day of the week, if you can. Colin, uh, that would be better. That's adding four. That'd be four rides per week. Yeah. And that's uh, kind of like, I, I usually refer that as like, as like blocking or stacking workouts. And, uh, it's something that I do with all of my training plans. I basically Monday through Friday, I fit in a mid volume plan. So that's five mm -hmm. days right there. And then that leaves my Saturdays and Sundays. Cause I know I can tolerate more stress than what I have on the Monday to Friday, but kind of like what we talked about before I give myself leeway. Mm -hmm. So then I can <laughs> add in more, or if, you know, something comes at me, then I'm not, you know, crushed if I still follow the plan. And the, the benefit of doing that, especially if you're a mountain biker or anything else, you need to work on skills or anything like that is the fact that you have your Saturdays to be able to do that sort of thing. Um, that is, I'm going to sneeze. Ooh, close gonna, to sneezing. <laughs> like the adult sneeze though, right? Where it's going to take a second. Yeah. You guys can lean back. Yeah. Uh, that stacking it just, you have to be careful because that's going to put intensity back to back and it, that can crush some people. It doesn't crush hard. Um, Captain America, Jonathan. But, <laughs> I hate it when that happens. <laughs> uh, okay. So another way you're in low volume, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, the way the plans are built is the most important are probably arguably either Tuesday or Saturday depends on the person, right? Yeah. And, and your goals, mm -hmm. um, Thursday is a little bit less important. So what I would do is I would take that Saturday workout and actually do it on Thursday mm -hmm. and then have the Thursday workout be on Saturday. And what it also does is you can also switch it around is based on your trails. You might be able to do a version of that workout mountain biking. Yep. If mm -hmm. the intervals are short enough. So sometimes the Saturday ones, sweet spot base might be like two by 20. Sweet mm -hmm. spot, yeah. which some, a lot of people don't have sustained 20 minute climbs. Right. But if it's a, especially in sweet spot base volume two, if it's some of the, like the, um, VO two max ones where it's like one minute intervals or two minute intervals, mm -hmm. probably do those. If you don't have one or two minute intervals by you, 
like you should move because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's not a place because chances like. are everybody yeah. can do that even yeah. if you live in flatland yeah. you know what i mean um yeah. the next best case so i would do that would be try to match tss but also hit those energy systems mm -hmm. so if you're doing the thursday and thursday is sustain or sweet spot I, I can't remember off the top of my head try to do some of that if it's vo2 max try to hit that vo2 max system and maybe you're not going to get that exact same workout because yeah. of your trails but try to be in that like um upper respiratory like v3 sure. where you're mm -hmm. really breathing and hit that energy systems because if if we're our goal is to hit that energy system every week and you can't do it perfectly um just try to touch it. Yeah. One yeah. Th one of the things that I've done is I've looked at a workout before. If I know that I, for some reason, can't do it on the trainer, can't replicate it for some reason outside, I'll look at the amount of time that I spend in that energy system. And ideally I could, you know, match the interval structure, but if I can't, I at least try to at least get the same amount of time in at that. So let's say that I was supposed to spend 15 minutes yeah, yeah. in, you know, VO2, that sort of thing. If I add up all the time, then on that ride, I'll try to shoot for 15 minutes of doing mm -hmm. that. Right. So that that's, I guess, kind of like when we're talking reductions, Yeah. One, one quick thing on a trail tip, and this is funny that you're, you know, we were talking about San Luis Obispo earlier. <clears throat> if you have train tracks and that, that place says San Luis Obispo has a grade and a train has to go up a pretty steep grade, but when trains go up things, they don't go at, at fluctuating grades or anything else. If you can find a safe train track area where like there's a dirt road, because a lot of them have oh, dirt, okay. dirt yeah. roads. Okay. There's like a front Don't ride on train <laughs> tracks. This is absolutely bad. Not not recommending that I'm saying most of them have some sort of frontage road by them or like a really wide shoulder, like something like that. Area. Yeah. Like, yeah. so in that case, those can be really good. If you, for some reason are, are hunting tip. for something mm -hmm. much better than a road most much times better. because a road will fluctuate, but these ones are, they have to be stable. Mm -hmm. It's like a trainer road. So that's like one thing you can, that's, that's one thing you can okay. do. Um, Pete, are you the sort of person that like, uh, uh, have you stacked workouts like this? Um, I'm not a stacker, but I, what I always do is look at the weeks or each week and prioritize my number one workout, my number two workout and make like, I always hit my number one workout, no matter what, no matter what the week throws always. at me. Well, <laughs> we'll find out <laughs> recently. Yes. That's the intent. Yeah, yeah. Recently, yes. Uh, generally speaking, I always get one workout in a week. Yeah. I mean, even all through the year. Um, yeah. and that's kind of my bare minimum. That means I'm getting slower, but at least I did the most important thing I had to do. Sure. Um, generally speaking, you get faster, the more of your priority workouts you do. Yeah. Uh, so, um, I have four workouts a week. Uh, two are always really, really important. Always try to knock those two out. And then, um, one's usually aerobic and then one's a recovery ride. So yeah. always skip the recovery ride last or first, and then go from there. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say more about reduction. So if mm -hmm. we, we talked about hitting the energy systems, the next kind of reduction to hit would probably be uh, TSS. So this isn't the best, but if you were supposed to do 120 TSS, 200 TSS outside on the mountain bike trail, but it's not like it can be done so many different ways that you could not touch your VO2 max system at all, your threshold and get the same TSS. So that's why it's not as good as one mm -hmm. first would execute the workout. Second is probably time and zones for the energy system. Yep. Third is hitting the energy systems. Fourth is TSS. And then the last is just duration. It yeah. says 90 minutes. So I just ride for 90 minutes. That could be anything. Yeah, right. yeah you can that do could any be sort anything. of thing. And, and with TSS, it's kind of similar. Like you can accumulate a certain amount of TSS in so many different ways. And you can also go longer. So just because it says 120 TSS, let's say you could do the workout, but you want to mountain bike more and it's not going to impact the rest of your weeks. Go for it. Like, yeah. That's going to make you faster. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, especially with mountain biking with skills and stuff like that. 
if it impacts everything else, um, and maybe that's okay if skills is a weakness, but mm -hmm. again, just going back to the other one, think about your whole plan. Think about the month. Think about three months. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe two, uh, based on what we talked about on the eating one, maybe doing longer mountain bike rides make you more compliant long-term yep. because you get less burnout and more exactly. like joy and enjoyment. Yeah. It's, it's such a hard decision to for all of these things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once again, if you just cast the vision down the road a bit and you look at what's going to make you nice pun. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm full of them right now. <laughs> again, yeah. not <laughs> uh, but if you do that, then you'll be looking ahead and you should always be putting yourself in a position so that you can complete your workouts next week, sort of a deal. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, then you're going to have more consistent training. And one of the, the, and if we look at people that are getting faster versus people that are not getting faster, one of the most common threads is consistency. And if they're consistent with their training, they almost always get faster, higher watt KG even. Yeah. It's a con it's a common thread that you see. Some people can, you can be on low volume and get faster for years. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And then if you are consistent and, and you aren't getting faster, that's when you want to add volume. Yeah. And that's going to happen for every single person in the world. Yes. There will not, there will be a time that you will plateau. And usually it's time to add volume. Other people will be like, I'll change my, you know. I'll do whatever the next fad is yeah. and change it. Look at vol like if you're not doing consistency and you're not getting faster, do that first yeah. and then look at volume. Yeah. Uh, I Before you just, just jump to fads. Yeah. 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 A couple of product things that, I, they, that make this sort of thing easy, like what we're talking about here um, uh, for you, Colin, uh, number one, you can switch around the days of the workouts, either ad hoc, like once it's on your calendar, your plan, you can switch them around. But when you use plan builder to build out your training plan, which if you're listening to this in your training, we still get like a surprising amount of questions from people that are asking like, which like a training plan should they pick and plan builder, man, it's so nice. Yeah, like it answers there. everything for you. <laughs> um, I think there's even like a meme about that on the forum that like, basically like said that this is the answer to all questions. But, uh, so if you do that, you can actually arrange which days that hard or easy day of your plan will always fall in, in your week. You can just drag and drop and change it around and it'll build your plan like that. So it's super easy. And the outdoor workouts thing, I love being able to have like that choice. Uh, it makes, a it removes like a big barrier for me so that, cause like right now at home, I don't have a good training setup at home, but I do at my office. So I know, but if I'm at home on the weekend, I know I can do an outdoor workout now with outside workouts. It's awesome. Works really well. Uh, works on my watch, works on my head unit. So now that you can train inside, outside, do the whole thing and stick to the plan. It's a cool setup. So, uh, Colin's question or forgive me next one from Christopher says, I'm an experienced rider from the South of France and we've got quite some challenging climbs, climbing events here. Can you give me more in-depth advice on nutrient type evolution throughout a full day event, such as nine hour grand, grand fondos as in the effects of solid food, like a cliff bar at the beginning versus at the end of the event. And at what, if any point should you, we transfer to purely gels and liquid nutrition provided we stay at an endurance pace. So before we go any further, and then we'll read through the rest of the question, but I just want to share the assumption that that's operating upon. We hear this pretty commonly, right, Pete? Yeah. Where it's like, like start solid, right? Yeah, start solid for as long as you hold on to solids for as long as you can, and then swap to liquids. That's uh, the assumption that that's, we hear. That's all the what time. generally people think is the right way to ride long events. Right. Uh, so, uh, in this case, Christopher continues and says, could you also throw in your personal methods of figuring out what is causing your stomach distress, i.e. too much solid dehydration, too much gel, water, energy, powder type quantity, et cetera. 
as during a 180 kilometer three mountain event, you eat and drink so many things that aren't <laughs> even necessarily going to know or going to known products. Uh, that's definitely the case. You show up at an aid station and you're like, what is this? <laughs> I never knew that I could eat a s'mores pop tart in the middle of a ride. Right. But you do. Uh, so absolutely love the podcast and your training plans, especially the new plan builder. I've taken so many notes and learned so much, and it's not only helping me physically, but also significantly helping me mentally. Now that I know how so many of these different topics work. Thank you. That's exactly the goal. So that's really that's gratifying awesome. to hear. Uh, cause that's what we go for. So, uh, yeah. So one thing of we've talked about before is glucose, fructose, too much of that can cause GI distress. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a bit of a, I think training your gut biome of being able to handle a lot. Yep. And we two to one of glucose to fructose has been the norm. Although there was another article saying that you could go one to one, up yeah. like two to one in a 90 gram. So, sorry, step back two to one glucose to fructose in a 60 grams glucose, 30 gram fructose per hour. So that's 90 grams of carbs. Mm -hmm. Um, that is the, has been the recent like best practice and research. Mm -hmm. And that's what Martan and SIS beta fuel. They're based are. on that. Yep. And then recently there was, there's been some discussion that no, you can go up to 150 grams per hour in a one-to-one -one of glucose to fructose. Mm -hmm. So that'd be 75 grams of each. That is a huge difference, right? Massive. Yeah. I mean, Massive. I haven't tried it personally. Have I tried it? I mean, not intentionally. Maybe I have it. unintentionally, right? Yeah. But I don't think I have tried it. I think it. I've done it to 150 in a two to one ratio of glucose to fructose. I have. And how I know is, so when I'm training and I'm, I'm doing this is when I start getting gas, stuff's not absorbing mm -hmm. um, and it's bad. Or GI, sometimes I'll get gas with no GI um, upset. I have like pretty iron stomach. Uh -huh. um, so that's, that's kind of like the key that I do. So in training, I try to do that even in a, in a two hour ride try doing yeah. like that and see if you can handle over two hours uh -huh. and that you might be like, again, the people are going to like, Hey, you don't need that much for two hour ride. Yeah. Well, the argument of how well you'll be, but let's put that aside. This is like, you're testing something for a nine hour grand fauna to see if you can do it. And, and, and it's much better to test it over an yeah. hour to two hours mm -hmm. first. And, and then you can't do it in a two hour ride. There's no way you're going to exactly. do it. Nine hour <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and maybe it's a, you can mm -hmm. build up to it. Mm -hmm. too. That's, uh, that's for what it's worth. That's exactly how I got. Cause I famously had a very fragile yeah. gut. You just used to say, look at the podcast. You're like, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. It's impossible. I can't do long yeah. stuff. And the main reason I couldn't do long stuff was because of that. But I just started on all of my rides. I just fueled them like I would be fueling something like a larger event. I would say too, you could do long stuff. You just couldn't do it at the same intensity. Yeah. You would do it at a lower intensity and yeah. not feel as good. Yep. And, but I, I took that approach of even my one hour workouts, I fueled them like it was part of something larger, anything else like that. And it, it took a while for me to be able, I basically like, when I started out, I had like my bottle of Martin and I would drink like half of it in the, in the hour. And that was kind of where I would go. And then it got to the point where I would drink the whole thing and I would be totally fine. And then I could take in more, uh, mm -hmm. so a bottle and a half, uh, even two bottles. And I got to the point where it's like, like you said, experimenting with like 120 and above too. So that's, that's kind of the common assumption, um, there with the glucose to fructose thing and GI distress. Yeah. And it's definitely trainable. Like that's everybody yeah. should know it's trainable, S figure out where you are now and figure out where you would like to be for your goal event and start stepping up through through mm -hmm. the ratios and and practicing yeah the hard part is like i don't advocate nine hour rides and training yeah. is you're not going to know what you're going to feel like mm -hmm. after nine hours um and things change so much on race day a lot of times you're changing humidity heat mm -hmm. um the effort level uh like the 
you stops and there's like something tasty. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, right. So inside of that, you just have to like be pay attention to how you feel. Mm -hmm. Look for the signs of gas. I've lost and found I did too much and I didn't eat for like 90 minutes. And then I started to feel better again. Mm -hmm. And then I, and then I started doing it. And for the solid or gels, that's, it's going to be personal. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, I'm just a gel and a, uh, drink person because the chewing motion like puts me out of breath. It's yes. like, I'm like trying to breathe while I'm doing yeah, it. And I just, yeah, it's, it's like too much. Can sounds, we cover the solid funny. versus liquid thing? Like it doesn't seem to make sense to me that like, yeah. Um, <laughs> to me, uh, there's people who like Nate, I, I don't like chewing things while I'm actually working. It's really distracting. It takes a lot of mental energy. I start focusing on my breathing. You start paying attention to other things and you're distracted. Um, yeah. I definitely, I like for my soft rule is I eat solid until the gun goes off till the whistle blows. And then I'm just, I know what works. I know how my body reacts to it. And so I just go gel and, and blocks mm -hmm. for no matter the duration, pretty much. Yep. Um, and that's assuming that there's intensity and any, now that I've ridden a grand Fondo like <laughs> event, it's hard the whole time. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's hard the whole time. Yeah. So there's never, there was never a time on the coast ride where I wanted to eat a solid bar. Right. For sure. Yeah. Never a time. Um, and I think Nate, Nate was talking about it where it's, you just wrap your head around you, you are, you're eating what you have to eat to get it done. And if it doesn't sound good, like, sorry, that's okay. Um, <laughs> that's one thing I've learned in racing is like, uh, I read this from a lot of you that submit questions, which you can do by the way, trainer.com slash podcast. And thanks for doing that. Um, sometimes I read like people say, I, I, I know I should plan on this, but I just can't handle the thought of just drinking my calories that long, or mm -hmm. I'll get palate fatigue or any of those things. And like, uh, and those things are real. I totally understand that. But for me, when I'm in a race, I, I, when I feel palate fatigue coming on, I'm like, you are much less important than my goal. So I'm going to yes. let you sit to the side <laughs> yeah. and I'm just going to yeah. focus on my goal. Right? I need variety. Mm -hmm. yes. I you're already doing an incredibly nine hour, like you're sitting <laughs> yeah. on a bike and run, but you can't have the same like three flavors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Orange lime and yeah. I don't know, some other flavor for right. nine hours. So like, let that sit to the side you're is, is my advice. Yeah, yeah exactly. And there's, so, there's bigger fish to fry. For uh, Dirty Kanza, if I get in, hopefully, uh, please help. Anyone knows, <laughs> like a Dirty Kanza dance. Yeah, if anybody knows how to help, like uh, we, and that's something to say. Like we don't, uh, we don't try, to, we don't like play any cards to like get into like. These, oh, I'll play all the cards. You know? but, <laughs> but like in this I've already case, tried and nothing's happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No cards are played. This is genuinely we don't know if he's going to get in. So, um, so for Dirty Kanza, I'm I'm going to do just uh, liquid, maybe with yeah. some gels in the pocket, but yeah. then. I'm having Jonathan um, there with, I'm going to have savory peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and Pringles, like salty, the opposite mm -hmm. as an emergency food. Mm -hmm. So if I go to these stops and I'm like, I can't do any of this. I just need this. And I'm having a horrible day. I'm going to sit down, have peanut butter and jelly, eat some Pringles. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk to you. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's Went really in. good to have that sort of thing in, in the backlog. Um, One last thing to consider is generally speaking on most long rides, you're limited by water and solid food takes more water to digest. So you're like poking holes in your water bottles by eating solid food. Yeah. Um, you're making water not last as long and yeah. that's, what's going to really hurt you in the long run is not having water. Um, and so don't, I, 
Yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> and, and if you don't drink enough water, it not only, you know, lessens the effect of that, but also it causes GI distress. Yeah, you exactly. Need a, you need a bike with seven water bottle mounts. Yeah. I wonder, do they make one? <laughs> oh boy. Let's get into it. <laughs> so <laughs> talking about long events, talking about Kansas, everything else. Okay. Before we do this, I got to say one thing. Yeah, sure. I did not say I'm going to beat Ted King. Oh yeah. We need to Dirty Kansas. Wait, you're going to yeah. beat Ted King? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I said some things last time and even one of our copywriters was like, you should, you so said you could climb with Ted King yeah. or let, something yeah, like yeah. that. And we, I went back, looked at the video. I said, if Ted King is doing, so Ted King's my size. Yes. If he is doing what I said, 280 Watts or something, 275 Watts, I can do 275 Watts. I have proof of that. Yeah. Like you, you, you can, can look at, it's uh, not that you have proof that you can beat Ted mm-hmm. King. It's that you have proof that you can do 275 Watts. You guys can watts. both ride at 275 Watts yes. next to, next to each other. Yes. yes. And the <laughs> this idea is was, outlandish. <laughs> this idea is very was, logical. How hard do you go in the beginning of the race? And, uh, 275 Watts will be way above my average or normalized power for the race. Um, but like at Leadville, that was actually my ceiling elevation was don't climb at higher than 275 Watts. So my point was at the race when it was going hard, if Ted King was going hard at 275 Watts, um, Mm -hmm. at my weight and that was hard, well, I could probably go the same for that part of it. If he's going 400 Watts, that's a different story. I actually said that later (laughs) on the race (laughs) that he was doing 400 Watts for 10 minutes. I'm just talking to me of it. So I'm not even going to be close to Ted King. Right. <laughs> There's no comparison. No. The dude's got like a hundred watt threshold higher than me. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm not beating Ted King. I don't know. Sometimes. Uh, oh yeah. Our words, our words m- get taken and ran with yeah. many yeah. times. This happens. Okay. So yeah. I just had to get that out. Clarified. There. Very good. I'm glad that we, I forgot to put that down in the notes. So I'm very glad that yeah. you did. Uh, so we should talk about a bike and what bike you're going to ride. So you have a specialized crux that you've traditionally ridden for gravel races or my mountain bike. Or your Epic. Epic, yep. Now I have the uh, Mach, Pivot Mach 4 SL. That's the one. So, uh, but there's a new, I, yeah. something else has caught your eye. I talked about last time, the, the Cannondale Top Slate. Top, top stone. stone. I always say it wrong. Yeah. Um, about being slacked out. A couple people, including Jack Denise, said, you want slack, baby. Check <laughs> out this. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's the evil Shammy Hagar. Yeah. And every time I see that, I want to be like... Yeah, like do an air guitar. <laughs> it should. Have to, I think. Producer Tucker, where's the guitar drop? We need it. <laughs> uh, okay, put this one up. This is uh, extremely. You can, sc- you can see it on the screen right now. Sorry, if you're if yeah. you're wa- watching on YouTube, this is the benefit of watching on YouTube. You can see what we're talking about. I put this up on Instagram as a story, and uh, I got so many people just respond with "No, <laughs> like, why would you do this?" And I, I asked all of them. I said, "Why?" And they're like, "Well, that's just a rigid mountain bike." Uh, with the drop bar. And I'm like, yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that's great. <laughs> that's exactly what I want. So uh, I'm ordering this thing and nice. I am going to ride Shammy Hagar <laughs> to, uh, on my gravel races. And the reason is uh, we'll get into more detail. Well, sure. Let's just, let's, I want to talk about, okay. First it can do 50 C wheels. Yeah. So that's a little under 2.1 wheels and those are at 700 so mm-hmm. not just 650 b yeah those are but 700 big wheels so that means really big clearance yep and in uh kansas i don't need that i'll probably do 38 but at other ones like grinduro mm-hmm. oh yeah it'd be sweet to have yes yeah, sweet to have uh lost and found a lot of stuff over here is more technical gravel yeah. and mm-hmm. another thing to say is gravel's different so you might have oh, yeah. smooth gravel fire roads everywhere you go and you'd be like nate why would you ever do that yeah um Gravel's different, so you can't say one is the other. But because you can get skinnier wheels, that's great. Sure. Um, the head tube angle is 66.67. <laughs> Which is really slack. 
Should we describe what that is for people? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, basically the head tube angle is, uh, imagine like Easy Rider, uh, that old <laughs> yeah. movie from the 70s where we're talking about like the, the Harleys that have like the forks that are pointing way out in front of you versus something like your road bicycle. And that road bicycle, the forks look like, you know, like walrus tusks, basically pointing straight down to the ground, right? So a relaxed head tube angle is when they go further out in front of you. And basically that angle that you're drawing on the ground, if you were to like basically do some geometry, it would be broader. If it's more slack. It's common to see downhill bikes be very slack. Whereas something like a cross country bike or a road bike is very upright or steep. So what does the slack head tube do? It will. And so it'll do a number of different things, but it's not the, it's not the decider of the actual handling. And that's an important part to cover, but uh, generally what it will do is it will make you more stable when you're going through bumpy terrain, especially at speed. It will also make it so that when you do hit things, whether it's a rock or even washboard, it will have a, it, it won't toss your, your momentum or your weight forward quite as much. It won't want to stop you. It will want to roll over that a little bit easier. It also slow down the handling. It won't make it twitchy, um, which for something like cyclocross would not be great because you want to be able to do really tight little turns and have some really fast steering, but for a gravel race, I don't know. Not many you turn. crucial turns. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, there's no, um, there's not a lot of one eighties. Yeah. Yeah. Type, not a, type yeah. one eighties. Yeah. yeah you're not, you're not yeah. rubbing tape, right. Yeah. On like an S turn section at yeah. Kansas. So, so that, that's usually what a head tube angle does. And, and it's, it's caught and they're getting, it's worth saying that bikes are getting slacker and slacker and slacker in the off-road space as time is going on. Um, and they're doing a number of different things to kind of counter that, but that's, that's kind of what the story with head tube angle, how I, my layman's approach is when it's a slack head tube, it feels like it slows down the trail. So when you're going fast on something technical, mm -hmm. it just feels slower. And then what's not slower, it feels more stable, more in control. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the fear comes out of it. So yep. when you say, Nate, why would you ever need this for a gravel race? Well, then gravel races, you're descending pretty fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when it's twitchy and you're on that loose over hard. Yeah. Oh man. Oh yeah. Like, it gets scary and you hit the brakes. And also it's worth saying that that has been a limiter of yours, relatively speaking for, uh, since you've, since you've started, you've gotten, and I know that like people, uh, people always assume that you're worse than you are. Um, that's for sure the case, <laughs> but especially now with mountain biking, like you're good. Yeah. You're so, a good mountain biker now. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but still relatively speaking, it's still something that, you know, that if you shore that up, it's going to help your performance. Like that's a weakness that if you help with, it's going to be, and better. it's the stress and the cortisol and like it's the, the thinking fear, inside. Really? It's yeah, like, like when yeah. there's no fear, like it just becomes more fun too. Yeah. Uh, side note, they said it's six, six point six seven head tube angle. Most people only do it to the first significant digit, Yes, but that would make it would be six, six point seven. I think evil. Yes. Six, 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 seven. <laughs> yes. They did that on purpose. Clever. Yeah. Um, the yeah. other thing is it has a dropper post on it. So in my size, I get a 185 millimeter drop which yes. is awesome. So it's yeah. the GRX, I'm um, getting the GRX Shimano group set, yep. which allows it to have, like you said before, a mechanical left dropper post. Okay. Other people said, why would you ever need a dropper post on a uh, gravel bike? People used to say it's too about mountain bikes. Yeah. Why would you ever need a dropper post? Yeah. I think road bikes should have dropper post. Also, um, if you go to my Instagram again, and Pearson 99, yeah. you can see me on my cross bike and where my saddle is compared to my handlebars, it's insane. It's higher, insane. Higher than you, bro. The <laughs> like, yes, the legs are very long. The center of gravity than, is high. Than most people. Yeah. And yes. a lot of times when yeah. my when I drop down my dropper post, I'm still higher than you. You're mm -hmm. like my shoulders. <laughs> no, when but, you're when you're dropped, yeah. your your like hips are near my shoulders. When it's, I drop my dropper post, <laughs> it's weird on my cross bike. <laughs> yeah. My saddle height is the same as Chad's. Yeah. Um, in regular life. In regular. Yeah. yeah. So I mean that. Yeah. It really helps, and I, I think there's no situation where being lower doesn't 
I mean, descending yes. doesn't help. And and you yeah, and, and this is one point that actually is inarguable. It's mathematical, right? Like you're lowering your center of gravity and it improves handling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's not bad. I, I do understand that a dropper post is heavier. Yes, I understand that. But if you were to look at the benefit it could provide across the whole day, that's the that's where you basically weigh it. Does it provide more benefit or does the weight worse? And that's going to depend on every person. And so, you don't have to get behind the saddle in order like – it's not really steep, like it's a 20% grade where you're getting behind the saddle for a dropper post to be sure, mm-hmm. like to make it feel better. You're also more arrow. So when you're going down and you you like tuck, mm-hmm. at least on a road bike, mm-hmm. man, you can go like really fast. Way faster. Oh, yeah. uh, it's like being on your top tube, exactly. but without having the, yeah. the lack of handling because mm-hmm. you're on where your saddle should be. So yeah. I, I mean, as w- bikes get less and or more and more uh, weight, I think at first they're going to give us little drops. And then finally, people will just give you all the way drops. Yeah. And then people are going to descend like they're on their top tube, drop down. And be in control. And kill it. And they'll be like, safe. Yeah, it'd be safe and control, and they're going to drop other people, and then everyone's going to do it. And you aren't going to have to use all that muscle strain that you do when you're on the top two. Yeah, you can feel it when you're on the top two. And they're going to be able to pedal. Yeah, right? So they're going to be able to pedal with their seat slammed. This may be foolish of me, and sorry we're departing a bit, but (laughs) any time that we're you know, we're, we're descending on our top tubes. Uh, Pete and I uh, do it regularly. Yeah. What I think of is like the gamble that I think of, and I know this is probably wrong, but I'm like, this is using a lot of like energy that I wouldn't use if I was just sitting on my saddle mm-hmm. because it does require like, cause you don't have a seat to just perch your pelvis on. And as yep. a result, you end up using more contraction. It's like there, there is a cost to it. So having a dropper post that went all the way down would be amazing. So the other things about this bike, no toe overlap. I never hit my toes. Uh, I've got big feet. Don't. It's fine, yeah. but you're not going to have any tight anyways, like turns. Sure. Yeah. Um, seven bottle, bottle mounts, which That's I'm not going to put seven model bounce on. Cause there's, there's ones on the fork, which I wouldn't do for arrow. Oh yeah. 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 But, um, for dirty Kanza, I might try to load liter bottles on this and carry four liters on the bike just because not having it on your, your back yeah. helps with cooling. Yes. Helps with arrow. Although I'll have an arrow pin on the frame, but I think it would probably be worse on my back. We've um, talked about like hydration weight on your body. Yeah. Yeah. Just on, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, so we've talked about hydration packs before and like the U sweep packs are the ones that we use that are awesome because they never move around. Like you don't have that detriment of a pack. In fact, you kind of just don't notice it, mm-hmm. but you do notice it after an hour of riding with a pack on your back or anything on your back, about 13 hours. Yeah. What about 12 and or 13 hours? Add it onto that. It's you're going to notice it. Like yeah. it has an effect and then it also has an aerodynamic effect. You can't, even though these bags are really slim and low profile, it still has an aerodynamic effect. The one thing that's really nice about a hydration pack is you usually drink more often when you have yeah. a pack because it's so easy to do, right? I, I could do that. Sure. You just stick to a schedule, right? Mm-hmm. Refine, make sure that every 15 minute, whatever it is, you know, um, the other things are, uh, Oh, I forgot, but one people say, why don't you just get a hardtail mountain bike? That mm-hmm. could be cool. Like suspension might be awesome, but this allows me to have a larger front chain ring yes. on this bike. Mm-hmm. And it's 142, which allows me to do gravel wheels and not mountain bike wheels. Yeah. Yep. And I can have a wide variety of wheels, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, so for all the people screaming, why Nate? Why? Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan, why do you think like, what am I losing? on a slack bike like this compared to a more traditional road-like gravel bike? Uh, you're losing your quicker handling, mm-hmm. um, which in this case probably isn't important. Uh, gravel races, yeah, why do you need quick handling? Yeah. Uh, you're you're probably losing in weight compared to a normal mm-hmm. gravel bike. I think the large out of the box on this is like 20 pounds. Yeah, so you're, you're, you'll be losing some weight a there. Few, we might be able pounds, to- right? Yeah, we might be able to trim something. And, and Kansas is not flat. It's yeah, constantly it's not going flat. up and down, right? Uh, and then you're also losing, I assume, 
but I don't know. I assume because aerodynamics are a funny thing. I assume on the aero side, you're also losing, but I don't know that because I don't mm. know, uh, you know, so far yet, as of yet, I haven't seen companies jumping into aero optimizing gravel bikes yet. Marketing hasn't reached that point yeah. quite yet with them. <laughs> <laughs> not, right? not at the not nice capacity. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so those, are, I, I see the main things that you could lose. Now, one thing that a lot of people say is you're going to have floppy steering with the front end because of the slack head tube. Someone angle. here said that. Mm -hmm. So like basically if, if a head tube angle is slack and then that's it, if you just take your current bike and you make it slacker, mm -hmm. then what that will do many times it will make the feeling or make the steering feel like it wants to reside on one side or the other rather than stay straight. So it'll feel a bit wandery when you're trying to hold it straight. And then it will always want to flop from one side to the next. <clears throat> now that is entirely, that's not just head angle dependent. So they do a number of different things by, uh, with other metrics like fork offset and a few different things that they can do to basically make it so that even though a bike has a slack front end, it isn't slow in the mm -hmm. steering department or isn't floppy. And in this case, uh, this the measurement that matters there is trail and trail is actually a much better, like uh, measurement of, of, of how a bike's going to behave and better than head tube angle by far. So trails, basically, if you draw a line straight down, if you're watching on the, on the podcast, you can see this, but try to imagine it with me, draw a line straight down from the center of your head tube until it hits the ground and mark that point, then draw another line straight down the forks all the way until that intersects with the ground and then measure the different, the distance between those two points. Mm -hmm. So, uh, just as like an example, the specialized diverge has a 56 millimeter trail. The Venge has a 52 millimeter trail. Once again, we're talking upright, right? So that makes sense. Like a steep head tube angle on a road bike. Uh, the Epic hardtail has a 101 millimeter, uh, trail. And then this has a 93 millimeter trail. So even though this thing is way slack, like way slacker than all of those bikes by a lot, I think that the Epic hardtail is a 70 degree head tube angle somewhere around there or 69 something. But even though it has all of that, the trail is still shorter. So that means that the bike is still going to handle relatively well. Yeah. When so you think of a, cro yeah, a cross country mountain bike still handles well. Like if you ride your SP 100 yeah. on the road, it handles well, really like well. You're mm -hmm. not worried about any of those angles. Yep. It's going to feel just like that. Yep. I would say too, even my SB 150, I've done in the Tahoe trail course, which is pretty much a gravel course with a couple single track <laughs> yeah. sections. Yeah. Um, that I did not experience that. I, then I climbed with downhill bikes totally experience it mm -hmm. and oh, it's yeah. floppy like you don't know where anything's going speaking of which this could be this could be pretty fun to ride at tahoe trail 100 i yeah. think it'd be a great mountain bike like it, it i'd be curious to see because they have a sh the the fork length and then also the offset of the fork those two things really change the trail of the of the, of the bike there and change how it feels um, but one of the things I would say is like, if, if this bike had like a short fork, like 40 millimeter travel, yeah. maybe a hundred millimeter travel, it actually would make probably a really good hardtail. What do you think about this though? As just the way it is at Tahoe trail 100. Yeah. If you run big tires, yeah, I, th I think pretty comfy. That's, that's, a, that's the <laughs> suspension, right? Cause you don't need full suspension at that course. That I, course is smooth. Yeah. There's, there's a couple sections that yeah. are like three or four minutes long. Yeah. But everything else is smooth. Very smooth. So uh, yeah, it could be a good Tahoe that, trail. That idea. I would love to watch you ride that at Tahoe trail. People, awesome. people of the world, you should ride your chamois Hagar at Leadville for sure. I think yeah. that it would be like a, really? yeah, I, I don't think so. I think we even talked good. about not having, there's too many rough spots. I think at Leadville, if, if you, well, I guess there's two ways to think of it, right? Like if you're really run, running big tires on this thing and you're running some cush stuff on there, cause you could probably run like 
If you ran 27.5s with some really fat tires, I don't know what the clearance would be in that case. Um, but if you did that, you might be able to get by. So are you I, saying- I just think that it would break people's brains. Oh, I yeah. think that would be great. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, you know. So are you saying then people should run hardtails at Leadville? No, I mean, but so then a fully rigid bike is yes. <laughs> so no, I want people to break people's brains okay, cool. uh, by, yeah. by using this, especially with an evil brand oh, like, for right? sure. Right. Yeah. Like it fits well, but no, I, I think that, so like there, there's two, there's, this is the principle on, in this regard for this bike and for Leadville. And I think we're going to find this out as time goes on, as we get a better way to be able to measure energy preservation and loss between the bike and the rider over time. Yeah. I think that we're going to see that a compliant bike actually provides for a faster time than a bike that is more efficient, stiff, and rigid, even though like, you know, for road, that's one thing when you're dealing with a very smooth surface, but even then, even if it's then, a long day, um, yeah. I bet that compliance actually, because there's less wear and tear on the body and you're able to maintain more. So for, for Leadville, that's why I think a full suspension, honestly, yeah. uh, you know, all trolling aside, yeah, okay, cool. a full suspension <laughs> bike you. is the one to use. And for something like Kanza, I don't think a rigid cross bike or gravel bike is the best one to have. I bet something like this with more compliance built in just with that slack head tube angle, more stability, the bigger volume tires. I bet that's going to be better. Uh, and then I'm going to do the Envy gravel bars, which are, they flare out. Mm -hmm. And the cool part about that is you get multiple hand positions. So yeah. as the day goes on, I can start going wide. Oh, I can kind of like the... in the bottom mm -hmm. and just move around a bunch. It's so helpful. And yeah. the Envy G23 wheels, um, those are 23 internal diameter um, and a little more compliant, I believe, on the gravel ones. Yeah. Uh, so they should be the right size for like running the 38s yep. up to yeah. 50. Uh, I think it's up to 50, somewhere around there. Uh, and then... For another thing on compliance, it's really compliant bike is is great, and this one's I guess mid level for compliant. But your tire pressure like makes, makes up for a huge difference. Yeah, so much more of it. So I can if I run a little bit less, it's gonna make up for all the compliance for the bike. Like, oh yeah, uh, just by having the the right tire pressure, and it I'll probably go fairly low. Uh, one thing that because uh, I'm sure they're. Uh, Envy attracts hate like and like no other brand I've ever seen. Really, um, Envy does. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm yes. not being sarcastic. Yeah, is that because it's expensive? Uh, yeah, 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 for yeah. sure. Yeah, and and people and we've even had people be like because we talked to them on the podcast one episode, and people are like, oh, you guys are in bed with Envy, and we absolutely are not in any way. Um, to to be clear, as an industry member, we usually get industry purchase on things, but that's as far as it goes. Um, so that's like on your evil. That's probably what you'll do, I assume. Uh, for those for any product that we usually get. That is a perk of being in the bike industry, but we don't have any sort of relationship with them. All of that said, uh, one thing that I find is that, so I've ran a bunch of different carbon components from different companies, aluminum components. And the one thing that I find to be like, I, I don't think Envy is the lightest for sure. No, um, definitely not the cheapest, definitely uh, not the cheapest. but the one thing that I find is that they behave well. And like, in other words, like the ride characteristics and flex characteristics are like spot on. They're well tuned so that it's not like abusive. I remember I had like, uh, some true Vative mountain bike handlebars and I had them on a hardtail. And I remember like genuinely feeling like the leaf spring action of like my bars, like, like snapping back into place and bouncing around. It was terrible. Made the handling bad. But in this case, like they're, they're really good at making things respond well. And on a day like Kanza, I feel like that's super important. If you have something that's like carbon, so it satisfies whatever boxes you're trying to satisfy, but it doesn't behave well, 
all of those bumps are just going to wreck yeah. you. Predictable, right? Envy mm -hmm. is always predictable and yeah. reliable. Yeah, that's why you want that, yeah. right? So whatever, and if there's other brands or other components, or if you're sitting there, you're thinking like, hmm, should I run that stem or should I run this stem? Or should I run this saddle or that saddle, whatever else? On a day like that, you want to go for something that's going to behave well and be compliant throughout the whole day, not be something that's going to just beat you up. Plus I think it looks cool. <laughs> Helps. Oh, right? people are going to like, <laughs> people roll their, some people think it's cool. Other people roll their eyes. Oh yeah. It's people like, right now are like smashing things because we're talking uh, about this bike. Yeah. An evil Shammy Hagar with envy stuff. Oh, you, you, you're basically playing a bingo game and you blacked out. So <laughs> with a dropper post. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah, six bottle mounts. Oh, uh, it's fantastic. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. And you're also going to be arrow, uh, have arrow apparel on as yeah, well. Skin oh, suit. a skin suit and an arrow helmet. <laughs> so, yeah. It's perfect. It's perfect. Oh, man, if you had arrow bingo. bars on, there man yep yep no arrow bars I, I know but yeah. that would be the final bingo bring the hate <laughs> at huh? pearson 99 on instagram bring the hate um okay matt uh, oh and for what it's worth um because uh people have asked me too like what i thought about that bike and i think that it's silly for us to decide that a gravel bike is this or a gravel bike is that because it needs to be kind of a different different things for different people and like you said it varies a lot different gravel yeah yep. and and we've so far we've approached this from the direction of like road bike companies designing a a road bike for gravel right and then these guys are coming at it from the perspective evil is saying like this is a mountain bike designed for gravel more or less mm -hmm. and that's like causing like a lot of uh, unrest it seems <laughs> <laughs> but the the main thing that's super important to keep in mind is you should buy a bike that helps that the, the kind of shores up weaknesses and makes you a better overall whole. And I think the majority, at least from my perspective, when I go to gravel races, the majority of people racing them are roadies. They're the, the minority are mountain bikers. Mm -hmm. So in that case, generally it's fair to assume that the roadies don't have as much familiarity with off-road terrain and handling their bike in varied circumstances like that. So you should be looking for a bike like this, that is a bit more compliant or a bit more capable on the handling side, rather than something that might punish your lack of handling skills. If that, if you find yourself in that situation, people say it in the forum too. Like if you're not turning a lot or the turns are big and sweeping, why would you not want a bike like this? Yeah. yeah. Like, why would you want something that's up to be a little more ice skatey yeah. on mm -hmm. loose over hard? Especially when you're talking washboard at speed over sharp rock and stuff yeah. like that. That's, and that's where you want stability. I understand the pound or two difference, but it really gravel bikes are, they're, they're heavier. Yeah. Um, they have bigger like, wheels, bigger tires. Yeah. Uh, and two that, that, that 20 pounds out of the box is with fifties on it. Yeah. So you could get 38s and probably take what drop half a pound, yeah. maybe yeah. even a pound. Yeah. You can I'm drop not sure. quite a lot. Um, and then the other one is some aero stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. but still gravel, you're usually not going that fast, but I do understand with Kenza, you're into a headwind, you're by yourself. That could be. 30 miles per hour. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me like that trust suspension fork that came yeah. out. Like there's no way that I think anybody can argue that a linkage suspension design is worse than just like telescoping forks. Like it's more dynamic, it's more capable, but I don't, I'm not going to put one on my bike because, and, and just like, I'm probably not going to get the evil chamois Hagar because unfortunately van you. <laughs> vanity plays an entirely too dominant <laughs> role in my decision-making process, no, it, <laughs> you know? So you look yeah. Back at, history for cycling. I don't need index shifting, right? Yeah, like totally it's what, fine. Yeah. yeah. Arrow bars. Oh, that's for yeah. triathletes. And they think like arrow helmet. <laughs> yeah. No way. No way we would do that. Yep. And they think like the, the shifters that are so big up in the front and putting that, that yeah. looks disgusting. I'd rather just have it on my frame. And now we look at that and we think, ugh, why would you put it on your frame? So, they, so they all taste say and why. preferences change over time. Well, yeah, it's the, 
it's something that we look back and be like, what if all of these, uh, what's the famous guy uh, who lost to uh, Greg LeMond? If he would have had. Oh, uh, Laurent oh, yeah. Fignon. Yep. He would have yeah. had an arrow helmet or arrow bars. He would have won. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. Right. Uh, I know what she would have chose now looking back. <laughs> yeah. People like, yes, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Tire pressure too. Uh, totally. Oh, yeah. Like Running 140 a, PSI. And back people in the just day. go, no. And yeah. you say, why? And they, that's because it's the way we do it. It feels <laughs> faster. <and> tradition. <laughs> well, yeah, it's tradition, or they just, it just, it's, it's usually an emotional response in your gut. Yeah. And you're like, that doesn't look like everything else where everyone else does. That's not what the current pros do. Therefore, yeah. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Triathletes don't feel that. They're like, oh, where, where's the data? It's three <laughs> yeah. watts. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, let's go. Let's go. Which, uh, that I hope that like uh, us podcast listeners on here can be like the the open minded people that are objective about Besides things. You. Yeah. <laughs> Beside me, well, if it looks bad. He, he acknowledges <laughs> that it is better, yeah. but he won't do he it. Understands. He's self <laughs> aware. This is true. Yes, yes. But maybe exactly. uh, open comes out with one of these bikes someday. Yeah, He'll be like, be yeah, fun. Well, sure, yes, I'll do right, right of it. Sounds yeah. like I already ordered one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly, if you were to say uh, like you know you, you were you had a choice to get a chamois Hagar or a gravel bike like that, and I have an open open right now which i don't love the geometry on that i feel like it could be better for sure if it if it was it, like a choice between that right now i'd probably get the chamois hagar honestly Whoa. like if it was between the two of them so uh, yeah this just is what What's it up, is bro yeah <laughs> you and i chamois hagar bros just evil I, can't, too. Yeah. I can't wait for you guys to have uh ass kickers <laughs> <laughs> exactly matt says uh here's been a lot of really great strategy and or there's been a lot of great strategy and tactical advice about breakaways in the podcast but i've noticed it's almost always from the perspective of the person in the break and by definition most people aren't in the break most of the time so can you give some advice for a cat four looking to upgrade who didn't make the break so yeah this is a, a good point uh also uh matt i'm almost always the guy i feel like that misses the break too i feel like everybody probably feels that way because like you said more often than not we are not in the break because there is, are a few people in the break this um, is my worst fear but, missing the break yeah 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 <laughs> so the, there's yeah uh nate nate always points like we've talked about races he's like yeah but if the break goes then like the race is over and, and I and drove six hours for yeah, to, to, to 10 ride minutes of racing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's frustrating. And that's one downside. If you're going to have teammates, think about that. Like, do you really want to put yourself in a situation where you have teammates? So you may have to just sit back and ride. It's up to you. Yeah, a lot no of teammates, teammates say, no, I don't, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. They're still teammates. Yeah. They're still teammates and they still do that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, what tips would you give for somebody that when you are in the break, what do you do? Yeah. You I, miss it. I think there's, <clears throat> there's a, a period in time directly after the break goes where it's still susceptible to being bridged or brought back. Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to kind of throw all your matches, all your bullets, all your cannonballs, whatever you have for that next five minutes, you know, mm -hmm. um, and you have to also capitalize on the way you're going to get across. Like Nate's a good example where he's kind of going to go Hail Mary, 60 second effort, 90 second effort. So that means he actually has to respond sooner than like I would, like I would want to get across in probably two laps, five minutes or something like that. And so that's where you pick the way you're going to get across and the timing in the amount of the time the break has. So if the break has 20 seconds, that's ideal for Nate. Nate can do 20 seconds. I can do either. Well, I was just going to yeah. say, maybe, maybe Nate's entirely shifted his power profile and everybody that feels like they know how Nate's going to race when Nate races oh, yeah? this weekend, you maybe no. just don't know how he's going to race. <laughs> if you're concerned about me in this weekend, you're going to lose because it's, <laughs> this is a P12 race and, uh, I'm just trying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to throw yeah. something. Into the no, but it's, here. it, I think the power profile, it depends on how far they are. Mm -hmm. So if they're, if they're 20 seconds up, I think that's when you should go 
those like an 800 watt digger um, yeah. for a long time and, and try to like really bridge it quickly to pretty much get it over. But if it's five minutes, you got to pace it differently. Yeah. And, yeah. and definitely, um, it always matters, uh, capitalize on other people doing the same thing you are. Um, and in that short period of time, once the break is gone, it's always gone, right? It's yes. never going to fall apart and people aren't, aren't going to magically get motivated in the last 20 minutes of a race that never happens. So all, uh, all three of us actually in the racing that we've done, I know it's going to change this year, uh, for you probably Nate, but all three of us in the racing that we've done locally, uh, or I guess for, for Nate and I period, but for you just locally, we're mar we tend to be marked riders, right? So this is a bit of an, an exception. Uh, so in many cases, if we miss the break and we're back with the pack, a lot of the time people just look to, to marked riders to make the sort of move, but something that's important for you to remember, even if you are the marked rider, you are not the only person that wants to chase the breakdown mm -hmm. and they're just waiting for somebody to make a move. Everybody is. And if you wait just a little bit longer, chances are somebody else is going to make that move. I feel like that's one good thing is to remind yourself that it's not entirely up to you and chances are somebody else mm -hmm. wants to do it because, oh, it helps so much when you can just latch onto a wheel instead of being the person that makes it happen. And, and you can stir the pot too. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if, if you have five minutes until the break gets too far ahead for you to chase down, you can do some probing attacks just to stir things up and make people kind of react to you and activate a little bit. And even if people are, if there's a team controlling the front of the race, definitely attack because you want to upset their kind of control that they have on the mm -hmm. front of the field. Um, but you only have a, the fuse is, is lit. So you only have five minutes or 10 minutes to do this. And you have to kind of put all your eggs in that first, first basket to get across. Yeah. I think a crit is different than a road race too. Um, if you're in a road race, I've, I've definitely had it. You're riding solo probably in a cat four and like talk to people and try to organize, say, Hey, does anyone want to work together? Pull these guys back. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes there'll be four or five people. Yes. Yeah. And this isn't a, like a race ending. Like you can, you can work together and you can still win the race and bring it back. For sure. Um, we're in a crit too. If it's going really fast, I find it's harder to organize people. Yeah. Um, to, to pull people back. Uh, yeah. So do that. And also, um, you can, if you can't organize people, I think go for the Hail, Hail Mary solo bridge. Yeah. And yeah. if it's long out there, some people know. If someone comes with you, awesome. Yeah. But if no one goes with you, get a good workout. What, what would you say about this tactic, Pete? I've seen some people not be – so, like, let's say a break goes up the road, and then what you have is a group of riders after that that are, like, in the large group, and a handful of them that are throwing out attacks to try to get across, but as soon as other people latch on, they kind of ease up and they mm -hmm. don't want to do it. So you have a handful of attackers, and then I've seen some people play, like, the role of the bridge, like, like the glue, so to speak, so that in between those attacks, they're fine with sitting on the front and carrying a good pace. Mm-hmm. Is that a good strategy to do? Because I assume their intent is like not let the break get too far away while these shenanigans play out. So is the, should we be that person or is that not advisable? I think I think being the glue is the worst spot to, yeah. to be. Uh, I do think that um, there is kind of that magical land in if the break is gone uh, and the field shuts down, being that solo, even if you are solo bridging for the last half of the race, a lot of the time that's a more successful strategy than sitting in. Um, yeah. A lot of time you don't get brought back and you just sit in no man's land and you race the next half an hour or two hours by yourself. Speaking of uh, power profile, in a 35 plus cat four race that happened and after, yeah. I don't know, four hours of racing, I did 15 minutes at 360 something and I solo bridged to a breakaway and I won. And yeah. There's a video called what to do when you bridge to a breakaway. Yep. But people actually, when I left too, 
talk about the strategy after the race, they're like, we didn't think you're going to make it. So we didn't go with you. Yeah. yeah when like, one rider's up the road, they're like fool's errand. Let yeah, that guy yeah. go. Like, like that's silly. But a lot of the time, if you are that rider, let's say you do bet on yourself and you're trying to make it across, you might as well bet on yourself first of all, rather than betting on other mm -hmm. people. And then the other side of it, if you, if it becomes apparent to the rest of the group that you are going to make it, chances are they're going to try to then end up getting close to you if you're still in sight, like at a criterium. So then at that point, if you really, if they are getting close, you can rest up for just a little bit on your effort and then you have more people to kind of launch with. So it's really, yeah, uh, kind of like you have a backup plan with it. Another thing for lower categories is um, when you're look at where the other races are and you gotta be looking behind you because it, i've had this happen where you get passed by another group and then you get neutralized and if there's a break off the front it is so frustrating because you can't catch them you can't catch them you get close we had that where a master's group was doing one less lap than us so they're on the last lap we had another lap the break was off and they had like a minute which is already big amount mm -hmm. yeah and then they went by and we had to ride for like 10 or 15 miles they went by us quickly and then they sat up and the race <laughs> official wouldn't let us repass them it's and like I, the worst scenario and i was oh. i had just organized chase and i was like okay <laughs> i'm gonna do 300 watts and just like pull yeah. for as long as i can and we had to wait and they got like a four minute it was like something crazy but we still caught them in the end yeah but i put out so much energy for that catch mm -hmm. but um the, the other thing is good too if you think the masters group's gonna catch you uh or especially when there's different amounts of laps because they will go faster in the last lap Yeah, is you, uh, you go on the attack where, where you think it's going to happen and you can take advantage of that. Um, it's just, that's the way it is. And it's, it'd be nice if that wouldn't happen, but, sure. uh, that's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's frustrating, right? I think it's yeah. happened to Brandon knee lost overall, right? Because twice. Race because of it. twice. twice. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and, the, and it was Brandon style, like only yeah. eight race for the year. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Brandon life. They got neutralized though with like just a couple miles to go when they were like 20 seconds up the road. Yep. And then I, they get two minutes and then he loses the overall. I yeah. struggled to ever say poor Brandon because of like, you know, that guy's walk KG and everything yeah. else, yeah, but he certainly works for it too. Yeah, but he yeah, does. Poor Brandon. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think don't, just because the break goes overall, you, you still have like five strategies to implement and figuring out the best strategy for you based on the race and the amount of time left and the type of rider you are. Yeah. And the last thing is points aside, cause I've been in the point in the, in the way where you're just like, I need the points. I need the points. So you want to bring them back and you kind of get desperate uh, on other videos. <laughs> we have me doing that. Uh, but, um, if not just reset, pretend yeah. they're not in the race. Okay. This is a new field. Let's practice some things. I'm going to race this like, yeah. uh, like it is the, the whole Peloton. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, like a good way to kind of like, uh, you know, salvage the, the race. Right. Yeah. And you yeah. can still win from a field sprint or you can attack them and win from them. Sure. Uh, and at the very least you can learn stuff exactly. and get in a good yeah. workout and experience, workout and experience. Yep. Uh, so with that, can we transfer into the race that we have this weekend? We haven't talked about it all, 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 all podcasts so far. Yeah, bro. So, uh, <laughs> on Saturday, we're going to be racing the Cal Aggie Criterium, which you can see we've done a numerous, we've done, we've done uh, <laughs> quite a few videos, uh, from that one. If you go to trainer road doc, or youtube.com slash trainer road in our race analysis channel, you can see a handful of videos that we did from land park. That's like the park that we, that we race at and it have, there's a few different races that happen there every year. Cal Aggie or land park. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, so 
with this race, it's basically like a, and, and you'll see the race analysis videos and everything else, but it's a pretty straightforward course with just one chicane in it. And it's probably going to be raining everything else. Uh, uh, not for you. It looks like it's getting pushed back. I think we're getting closer. So your mountain bike race is going to be rainy the next day for you. Um, I think it's going to start raining at 7 PM. So we're going to get into like setting expectations of, first of all, one question that I, I know I hear somebody saying right now, like, what the heck are you doing racing so early? Because, uh, like I, you know, it's, it's, it's early season mm -hmm. and we're already starting racing. It's called race season. <laughs> race season starts. Yes. Kaboom. Right now. Uh, and yes, there yeah. is, there is a risk, the risk, of like a lot of people say like January hero, July zero, whatever else it is. But, uh, Racing, I find, is especially when you're talking criteriums, not stuff that's going to be super damaging and derailing to your plan. I like incorporating it as often and as early as I can in my training. You, you guys are the yeah, same. Mountain biking too. I yeah. Actually, there was a mountain bike race two weeks ago. I wasn't available to do that one, but I wish I could have done that one mm -hmm. because it's just that, like, I push myself really hard in that like anaerobic yeah mm -hmm. capacity, and I feel like I get a good bump of anaerobic if I do a race earlier mm -hmm. on. Yeah, agreed. I, just for as sure. a C race. It just yeah. I don't change my training for it. It, it just pops in for another anaerobic ride. We talked about it before and I get a little bit of bump, especially going down to C level. Yeah. Yeah. I think that C race exactly. It just replaces a hard workout. You also get to practice racecraft, which is like just super important. Super important. And starting that earlier, it gets like that your motor spinning up for racing. Mm -hmm. Um if you race three or four times before your first B event, your brain is gonna be that much sharper and more capable to race. Oh um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a big thing. And and for me, I find that racing criteriums are really big help for racing mountain bikes because it is similar in terms of like energy system demand on mm -hmm. your body. Um and also it's really good tactical practice because Mountain bike races many times can become tactical, uh, depending on where you're racing at with the people you're racing <laughs> with. For you. <laughs> yeah. So, but they can is the point. So like, it's not like it's an entirely separate discipline. So it's definitely something to, to consider. Now, how do you manage expectations though for first race of the season? Cause you've asked me, Nate, you're like, are you, so what are you going to, or what are your, what's, I want you to win. So yeah. <laughs> Did you say what's your goal or like, how are you going to win? How are you going to yeah, win? Yeah, I think yeah. that's what he's Cause saying. Cause we're not yeah, sure. Yeah. So, so I, I always struggle with expectations first race of the year. How do you manage those, Pete? I think you should just capitalize on the fact that you get to race. Um, you know, everybody's been training. Uh, it doesn't really matter what your training in is versus everybody else's. It matters that you capitalize on what you're good at. You don't do anything. You don't want to repeat mistakes you've made in the past. You want to kind of move, move forward as a racer. Um, you just work on getting better as a racer. And for you, that means winning. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, I don't want, uh, this is great. Everybody that's going to be racing me, racing is like racing me is listening to this. I'm sure. Um, but I, I, for me, it's, it's hard for me to put like all my chips onto a, a result in terms of like a relative outcome to everybody else, like a placing, but it is to that point, like you said, don't make the same mistakes that I made last year. Don't do that sort of thing. Be a smarter racer. I find like that sort of stuff, if I focus on those more process oriented goals of what I can control there, then I think number one, that it's the best way to get to a good result. But for me, it's really hard to just say like, win the race right out on the first race. Cause I have no clue who I'm going up against, how yeah. it's changed. But once I get a few races into the season, then that's where I start to feel more comfortable with like a result. Uh, and like, kind of like saying like, this is what I want. No, dude. But <laughs> how do you manage it, Nate? Uh, well, I'm going to try to do my best and, uh, Cause you're racing a different category. You'll be P one, two. Yeah. And this is a whole another type of thing I've raced. So I've raced a few cat people, cat one riders in Reno national champs and stuff. And I've raced national and world champs and masters one, two, three. So it's not completely 
35 plus though. Yeah. It's not completely different, but it is completely different because of the size of teams and the depth is different. Yeah. Um, and the than, skill, and the individual skill of the riders too. It's the, the pop, the depth and the teams, yeah. which is not the same. And, uh, I'd just say it again. If you're racing to beat me, that's dumb. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, for everyone, for the whole season, um, I'm not going to win a field sprint. I'm probably not going to win a breakaway sprint, but I just want to get points. And if I am in a breakaway with you and you're working, I will work. I am a good draft and I can put out a lot of power for a long time. It's true. So, yeah. uh, and you watch the videos, you can probably out sprint me. <laughs> so I am a ideal breakaway partner. Yeah. And, um, if you, so we don't, you don't even need to, well. you don't yeah. even need to attack me with like laps to go. Let's just go to the end and you'll straight yeah. up out sprint me. Um, and if you are chasing, there's no point because you're not going to catch us. So <laughs> no. yeah, there you go. But if we're that. going hard. I mean, just, you're going to put out 450 for five minutes to be able to catch us if we have a gap and I'm working with other people who are committed. Mm-hmm. Sure. So just yeah. like the last question, just pretend that's a new Peloton. <laughs> no, but really, um, so basically I, it's, it's so tough because worst fear is letting the break go, but I can't go with every break and it's gotta be the right amount of people. Especially now yeah. with such a strong and deep field. Well, yeah. and I think that's perfect for you, right? Like using these early season races to fine tune your breakaway finding ability and to be able to put down the right amount of power and the right breaks to get away mm-hmm. it yeah. is a skill. It's another skill that you it's have to practice tough skill. And a lot of times too, the result will be the reaction from the field and not my performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I could do everything perfectly, but if the field doesn't want that to happen, yeah. I'm not going to, we can't, I mean, I'm joke. We can't pull eight people can pull this back. Right. Or even two riders who are really dedicated. They're going to blow themselves up. Sure. Can pull yeah. back a group of four. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's go into some live questions that we have okay. from Michael. Uh, oh, I, I want to put one thing. Oh yeah. The mountain bike race, I'm putting cameras oh, on yeah, it true. and yeah. Jonathan's going to critique my racing. It's going to uh, be awesome. We're not going to be able to record the whole race, but really after the beginning you get separated. So it's going to yeah. be a lot about line choice, um, initial, um, uh, placement inside of like the Peloton yep. and, uh, Peloton, you yeah, know, the, group. the group, um, and, and the then, beginning of the race is going to be like a key thing. I yeah. assume we'll, we'll spend a lot of time on that. How I pass people. Um, there's some, there's like two technical spots, not tech there. Everyone else. They're not technical, um, that I do so poorly on every single year. And hopefully I can get some tips from you. So nice. That, that'll be awesome to get those up. Cool. Yeah. That'll be a lot of fun. So stay tuned for the race analysis that we'll have from all the different races. I think we're having like six or seven of them. Uh, yeah. And since Simon is not, or my son, he's not going to be coming and he won't be going to the <gasps> zoo. You're going to race the P one, two, three. I think I'm going to do we it. We all yeah, get yeah. to race together. Yeah. So oh. it'll be pretty fun. So <laughs> I've, got be my third, I've got a part. Will you work for me or yeah. you try to win? Yeah. Because no, I, yeah. it'll be my third race for the day. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be awesome. I don't think that I'll be in the challenge. I have another question for you, Pete. Are you, are you racing against me or are, are we going to like click? Do you have a cliff bar kit? Are more cliff bar people going to be there? Um, I'm not, I think only a couple of us are coming. Um, I think we're friends in the Peloton. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want you to pull me back. No, I, I, that means no, (laughs) that means no. I want to be in the break with you. Right. And we don't, we don't care that much about the result, but we want to race hard and I will, we'll throw our eggs into the breakaway basket with you. How about so that? So if there's like three people in a break, is Cliff Bar going to line up and chase us back if they're not in the break? Or are you going to let someone else chase back and then counter? Probably let someone else chase back and counter. So, so let's, not, let's not talk about our tactics. Let's yeah. keep those on the, on the down low. Yeah. And which, then... which riders are going to be there? I I'm not sure. I'll, I'll find out. Okay. And then if we are, this isn't going to happen, <laughs> but Pete, if we were, two up at the end, not yeah. never going to happen, everybody. <laughs> but and if we and were, I need these points, 
you gonna give it to me or you're just gonna we're just gonna race each other no we're gonna i said we race each other i think we say we're gonna race each other and then uh i'll i'll lose my uh shifting right at the end and they beat me <laughs> the other thing i think if we are in it i would not attack you at the end like it's better for us to to have a good result and not get the breakaway taken back yep. than, yeah than that but if we are uh um in it together in some kind of breakaway, which I'm just going to get dropped in the first 10 minutes. Everyone's just going to laugh at me. I know these are all like pie, pie in the sure. sky things. Everyone well, why not think through all this? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, if we are in a group and I attack, you counter that. Yeah. I'm right. Not or, chase the, you. or the other yeah. way around. Yeah. In, in a breakaway. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a difference between being friends in the Peloton, being teammates and racing against someone. Yeah. Right. And you're, you're a good friend in the Peloton. Yep. Yeah. I'm your boss too. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> It's like, who signs my paycheck again? Like, oh. law, law laid down right there. <laughs> Just kidding. Beat. Beat me. Uh, All right. It's a better video if you try. For sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael's question says, I'm a 33-year-old getting into cycling for weight loss. However, I'm also very interested in crit racing eventually. Would it be better to simply put miles in on the bike or begin a structured plan? Begin a structured plan. Yeah, start training. Yeah. There's no point to, to practice training before you train. You don't need to train to train. Yes. Yep. Chad always says. Get into it. And it's not the, it, because the structure will all be adjusted to your fitness level anyway. So yeah, it'll probably feel hard at first if you're new to riding because it's just, it, it, it's, it's hard work, yeah. but that doesn't mean that it's bad for you. It just means that it's good. And if anything, having a structured plan will make sure that you're progressing like at a, at a good rate. And if you're just riding, it's way easy to just go in way too hard, way too quick. Yep. Yeah, you're, you're saving yourself by starting mm -hmm. structuring training. Yep. Uh, Charlie says, uh, question for the TR, uh, TR folks, do any of you use oval chain rings? If so, what power meters do you use? Thank you. Only Chad? Uh, only Chad. I have used them on road and on cross and on my mountain bike, and now I'm all on round. Uh, I honestly, so if you're, I've talked about this before, uh, in terms of using oval rings, I think that if you have a, a mountain bike, that, like a full suspension mountain bike that is prone to a lot of pedal bob because it needs chain tension to be able to, to keep the suspension stable, then an oval ring can really help because it can actually kind of offset that and it can smooth it out a little bit better. So like when I had the older, the previous generation Yeti ASR, it benefited from that a lot on the SB 100. It does not benefit from that. And I just don't really like the feeling of the oval rings, but in terms of what power meters you use for them, there's a lot of, uh, it, depending on like where the oval, the ovals orientation and the shape, it will give you different power meter mm -hmm. data. And, uh, in fact, we've had employees here that have gone like back and forth and they get like crazy power numbers from you, one to the other. You get higher numbers with oval chain rings. Yep. In almost every case. I don't know if you could orient it in some way that it wouldn't be, but Chad uses, basically, oval chain rings. <laughs> 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 but, but it, it, it basically it's, it has like a higher spike of force every pedal rotation. And as a resort that generally drags, I think the force bit up a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that's at least from what's been explained to me why. from rotor. Uh, okay. they explain that I think is why, like you'll see things change. Mm. Um, but, uh, you can run them. Just know that you, you shouldn't compare it, uh, to your round data. It'll just be different. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and then for brands, um, you should look at the, whatever brand you want to go with, look at the manufacturer and see if they support oval chain rings. Yes. Uh, that's what I would say. Yep. Uh, okay. Tyler says just did triathlon plan builder and due to family life after, uh, due to the family life, I needed to alter it. Is it important to keep the preset layout or can you spread things across as long as it means you can be consistent? Um, I, well, I don't want to talk about a new feature. 
Oh, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Okay. Yeah, don't do that yet. <laughs> yes, oh, you can edit it. <laughs> totally. And You and, won't die? Yeah, and if you're talking about like removing something where it's like an entire week and trying to fit it into another week, that's not advisable. Uh, in that case, what you can do is you can just push your week down. Um, and that's like basically in the week, in the calendar, there's three dots over on the side. You can just basically push or pull a week of training and it will scoot everything appropriately. But if you're talking about rearranging within a week, absolutely. That's yeah. totally fine. And and please do that. That's, you have to get we designed rid of, it for that. Exactly. And if you have to get rid of your Thursdays for some reason, uh, you know, uh, make sure that Thursdays are the easiest days and mm -hmm. get rid of that um, yep. and go through that. Uh, Cunio says, I have, I will have a six hour circuit road race, six hours. Oh, I wow. hope that that's not a circuit race because the circuit race is usually really hard. Yeah. Like they're usually like kind of undulating and intense. Oh, look what he says. Oh, what pacing strategy do you suggest? There's some serious ups and downs, maybe VO two max on the uphill and keep coasting on the downhill. I don't think this is sustainable. Yeah, I think not, you're right. No. Cunio. <laughs> uh, so on, on a circuit race, you're you got to stay with the pack. Yeah. You can't, yeah. you can't pay. It's, your pacing is not that. So yep. the tips on this is to one, um, side climb as much as you can. So yep. if you come in the beginning of the climb and drift back and two, know that it's not going to be that hard the entire race. Yes. The first laps are going to be the hardest and it's probably going to be mellow. And then the last lap is going to be hard, but probably not in the same power as the first two laps is that your experience too mm -hmm. with circuit races. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. And if you're also, so this is six hours long, I mean, chances are you're going to have an IF of somewhere around 0.7. So when you're going up that climb first lap and it's way over your threshold, don't worry. Like okay. nobody can actually hold that. So yeah. it will drop down eventually. I think how people do it is they will, you'll get broke. They'll try to break as many people early on as they can. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then it will be sustainable. But all the people that are, that are off the back aren't coming back yeah. probably um, because it's, you get mentally broke. Yeah. When you talked about sag climbing, I just want to reiterate, you move to the front to allow yourself to drift back over the course of the climb. Yep. And then that does mean that when you get over the top, you will have to, you know, yeah, reaccelerate, you'll have to reaccelerate and you'll have to do a little bit of work, but it's probably going to be less overall wattage and less strain on your body to do that than it is to push really hard up the climb. The, with the, it takes more, uh, you don't have to go up the hill as fast. Correct. So instead of a 30 second climb, it's a 35 second climb and, or 30, yeah, 30, yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm. that allows you to go at a lower wattage. Yep, mm -hmm. exactly. So yeah, that, that's what I would recommend. Uh, question from Jason, uh, racing on recovery week, yay or nay? Uh, yay. Depends on the race. Yeah. yeah. I do Tuesday nights on my race rest uh, weeks all the time. Yeah. Tuesday yeah. night races, like mm -hmm. local crits, that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Yeah. Even if it's a C race. Sure. Sure. Racing's fun. Yeah. It, the, the one thing that the, what you have to balance is the fact that like, if you're particularly fatigued and you know that this is something that's going to make yeah. your, once again, the next week's workouts tough or the next three weeks workouts tough, don't do it. Yeah. Um, but if you know that that's something that's manageable and you've padded things in intelligently with a bit of wiggle room, probably can't. And you might have to then, uh, I feel like what you're doing is either you're extending your build yep. that to that Tuesday, or you are ending your recovery later on. Yeah. So if it's right in the middle, that's kind of weird, but if it's at the end, so it's like a, let's say it's the, the Saturday of recovery week yeah. or the Sunday to me, that's like ideal. Yeah, that's fine. Right? Mm -hmm. And I might switch some of those, uh, those, uh, aerobic rides with like a taper workout, sure. which is a hard, intense workout. And kind of, uh, Pete talks about not having being fresh for the yeah. end of a rest week. Um, yeah. that could be super awesome and extending your week by a day or two. That could be super awesome too. And you could push it on the other side. Um, yep. in the middle, I would just make sure you just don't have too much fatigue for the week. So mm -hmm. I'd probably rest a little bit of coming in and then rest a little bit more coming out, uh, so that you're really fresh and you can handle that next block of training after you come out. If you're going to race, um, more than that, 
uh, like you're probably gonna need another recovery week. You're probably just mm -hmm. adding an extra week of mm -hmm. stress. It's like yeah. you're having a four or a five week block instead of a four week block. Uh, one quick thing, and then we're going to run through a few more questions here. Uh, one quick thing that drives me nuts. I've seen plenty of people do this. They show up at like a race and they say, oh yeah, it's my rest week. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be a factor. Don't do that. Like if it's a race chances, like, why are you going there? If you're planning on maintaining the rest week intensity, just pedal the whole time. yeah, like it never <laughs> happens. You're going to race hard. You're going to do it. That's just how the, your bike racer is. So like, have you ever been on a race where you don't hear at least one excuse? Oh, preemptively. Oh, yeah. Throwing preemptively. Them out. Yeah. All yep. the time. Ever. At no. Speed, have you ever heard it? No, never, never, never. <laughs> it's every, everybody has excuses. Have you ever <laughs> yeah. given an excuse? I really try not to, but I, you have, I, I have, have. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that's like an, uh, as I race more, I realize that excuses aren't excuses. It's just the way things are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nobody's, yeah. nobody's yeah. Perfect. perfect. I, here's the, I think it is, is let's not give ourselves excuses in our heads where yeah. we say, oh, I haven't done, I'm not the end of specialty right now. So it's not going to be so good. No, get that out of your head. Yeah. It is. That's not it. Like you're going to do well in this race. You're going to do great. Nobody else is, is nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a better way to set yourself, yourself up for success. Yep. And then you sure. won't uh, say it out loud either. Yeah. Unless exactly. you're messing with people's head. <laughs> right. And that is completely okay. <laughs> yes. Once you're in the break, yeah, this is my rest week. <laughs> <laughs> no, but even before be like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, whatever you say. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Brian, we, we actually, we've talked about that. We feel like it's. Um, oh, yeah, it's, it's important. Yeah. It, when you verbally mislead somebody like, you know, we're, we're talking in jest right there, but when you verbally mislead somebody, that's where like the ethical boundary for me yeah. comes in. When you non-verbally mislead somebody, I kind of feel like, like, you know, you're looking tired or something like that. I don't feel like that necessarily crosses the ethical boundary, but when you basically are in a sprint with somebody like, Hey, you got it. Like, don't worry about me. And yes. then you sprint against that person. That's just not cool. Yes. Yeah, don't do that. Ever. Yeah. That. Saying I, um, I'm not going to sprint against you is bad. Yeah. Me saying you'll probably be, like I just said, you'll probably be in the sprint. That's true, but I'm still going to try. Yeah. Like that's different. Yeah. If yeah. we're in the breakaway together, you can say, you're probably going to, I'm probably going to, yeah. Pete, you're probably going to beat me in the sprint when we get there anyways. So let's just work together. Yep. Yeah. Because uh, that's I'm, probably what's going to happen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just the, I'm not yeah. going to attack you or something and you do. That's the worst. That's, uh, yeah. But before the race, saying excuses like, I haven't trained much and it's the truth. Sure. That's fine. Like, yeah. like say it, like all those excuses you hear and you say out, uh, if you think it's going to improve, but probably it doesn't. Cause everyone else just, uh, yeah. Like everyone just rolls their eyes. Right. Yeah. They're like, sure. This Especially when it's Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> this one's designed for team cliff bar. Uh, what's a rule of thumb for pedaling through corners? Oh yes. Good Always. Question. Right. Well, what do you, I've, <laughs> That's the I've right clipped answer. my pedal twice. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, there's Pete uh, I actually, sorry. One thing we, we both, I uh, was watching a race analysis video just this past week. And then I watched the race, the full race video and both you and I clipped our pedals in the same race <laughs> together. So yeah. Uh, bros with that I, happens. I, yeah. I think you generally speaking, you want to pedal more often later and earlier as soon as you can. And, uh, so pedaling more on a course makes it so you don't have to pedal as hard when you're, especially when we're talking about turns, and especially when we're talking about turns, um, any real corners uh don't i mean watch everyone else around you if other people are pedaling through you probably can um you also make sure you're standing your bike more straight up and pedaling uh mm. than if you're all the way leaned over if you're at that 45 degree racer angle 
don't pedal. Uh, I have two tips for this. Let's well, one, there's one reality. So yeah. the reality is you will clip your pedal at some point. Yes. And, and there's, and there's the, you, you simply can't just, it's not like somebody does something special to be able to pedal through and not clip their pedal. They just know where that limit is and they ride the, on, on one side of that line. Mm -hmm. Right now, the other side of things, be a stable pedaler, especially through turns. There are a lot of people that when they pedal, their bike will waver side to side when they pedal. And especially when going through a turn, you're leaned into the turn, you're putting out maybe bigger force, that sort of thing. And when you put down force, it's very tempting for us to allow our whole body to get into that pedal stroke. And when you do that, you are not maintaining a consistent pitch and you're also unweighting your bike and weighting your bike unevenly. So even yeah. a tiny little pedal tap is going to throw you on the ground. That's that's when you see someone pedal strike and their whole back wheel comes off the ground, like yes. six or 12 inches, and then they drop it and usually roll their tire. And Chances pop. are yeah. in that scenario, they were pedaling with all of their force and their kind of body leaning in on that inside leg when that was happening. So all their weight was placed onto that. It wasn't stably placed over the mm -hmm. wheels. And as a result, when you hit that pedal, it's suddenly a tripod rather yeah. than it's just like a little tap. It's a tripod and it lifts up everything else. Cause you don't have your weight square over the wheels. Yeah. And to Jonathan's point, don't pedal super hard through corners. You're pedaling like 200, 300 Watts, like just enough to maintain pace. You're never throwing or down watts or 100 watts but yeah. the idea is you're just doing barely 10 percent more than everybody else and that's what the advantage is i do hit my pedals frequently mm -hmm. um but oh. never never hard because um, you're pedaling softer because i'm pedaling softer and so it's something that you can mm -hmm. you can capitalize on you're like okay i can't pedal quite as hard through that one um but it's finding that limit and then not pedaling hard so they're always getting that 100 or 200 watts when everybody else is coasting two mm -hmm. other tips uh one is it can you can pedal through the corner all race and then when it gets really fast you suddenly can't yes. because you're cornering a lot harder and two watch for the crown of the road uh we had this in the video point but as you go over the crown of the road it's suddenly going to change <laughs> yeah. and the road's going to be a lot higher on the inside yeah and you pedal there you're gonna have a bad day where on the other side, if it's like you're on like almost like a banked corner of Eldrum, you can pedal a lot longer. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, it, and that's all going to depend, too, on how fast you are. Because when you're going faster, you're probably going to um, turn outside. You're going to go over that crown. Yep. Right. Yep. And we're on some of the slower laps. You can pedal the whole way through and you, the whole t you might stay on the inside. If you have to drift wide, that's a great point. It's yeah. probably going to be crowned if it's off camber. And what that means is if you are basically turning or if you're riding straight and then the road is slanted underneath you so that the fall line isn't directly in front of you, but the fall line is off to the side. Uh, if it's off camber, you have to pay attention to that and alter your line as a result. Yeah. Like I'm thinking of the UNR criterium. You can check out the race analysis that we did with that one. And that one has a real, so the turn that we actually clipped our pedals in, it doesn't seem tricky, but it has a crown. Like you mentioned, which turn is that the turn before the downhill? Um, it has a crown in it that you don't realize yep. and you carry a lot of speed and in. you go all the way from the left side of the road all to the, the way far. over. Yep. Yeah. So then as a result, you end up crossing that point, like you said, and then there's another turn that's very tricky that we didn't clip our pedals in, but people do basically all the time. But I think the reason we did it is because we knew to watch it on that one. We take a different line and we even alter like the pedal strokes. I even subconsciously found that I was pedaling at the, at a specific time coming into that to be able to time it so that my pedal strokes weren't going to be detrimental to, you know, to, or likely to hit in that turn. Yeah. And you can, you can prioritize which leg forward going into a turn so that you yep. have more rotations before your pedal comes down again yep. on one side. Exactly. So yeah, hopefully that helps <laughs> last one. And this isn't a question, but just says, I'm going to sit on Jonathan's wheel all day on Saturday. 
Hi, Griffin. That's your name. <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> well, so this is what you do because it's happening to me. John, then go off the back. Yeah, You've sure. got pop. So I'm serious. <laughs> sure. Do that over and over to them. Like give a little bit of gap and like they can come around. And if sure. not, you attack them and then they got to work too. So yeah, you, you got to work it. for it, Griffin. I and if, if you don't do it this race, it's going to happen forever. It's true. So it, once you f- just do it. Throw the gauntlet. Yeah, it it's, it's mutual assured destruction. destruction. So if you, <laughs> like, it'll happen forever. You got to just do it. That's, and you're poppy my, enough to come back my, on. I was going to say that's my strength. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so you, you want to go off the back? Let's do this. Sure. Yeah. If you want to, Griffin, go on ahead. So uh, cool. All right. Uh, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Remember, you can submit your questions at trainerroad.com slash podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast too. I know there are a lot of people that just listen to the podcast without subscribing. You should totally subscribe because in that way you can get it. And I'm going to throw something out here. There's going to be more podcast content coming soon. So like different podcasts coming, different podcasts coming. What? So um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, that's why you'll want to subscribe. Uh, so you can uh, be in tune with that. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah, uh, so then sure. you can see, because we have a YouTube video going up every single week. Thanks to Tucker and his awesome work day? or every single day, not every week. Yeah. And check out our blog. You can subscribe to that too, because we have articles every single day, training articles. And when we make these articles, we sit down and we think, how can we make people faster? And that's how we write these things. So it's not like just, you know, it's not just blathering Fluff. on about stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like the podcast. It's all productive. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. yeah. All productive. And if you want to get faster, check out Trainer Road right up there behind us. And we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.